0: to Close Horse, the podcast that can say, like, listen, there's a lot of really horrible stuff happening in the world right now, and it's really hard to cope with it most days, but at least there is the comfort of soup, hot tea, and sweater season, and I am fully immersed in it right now. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 183. My special guest this week is someone you all know and love. She's someone I also love and consider a leader in the slow fashion community. It's Danny of Picnic Wear. Today, she and I are going to talk all about why sweaters are so well, not so great these days. Danny is the perfect person for this conversation because in addition to being a major sweater aficionado, she is also a sweater designer. And as I've mentioned in the past, certain categories like denim, activewear, and sweaters are very specific niches and areas of expertise within the fashion industry. Like, if you start as a sweater designer, you kind of are always a sweater designer. Same thing if you do denim or what have you. They're very very specific. Fortunately, I have also managed the sweater category at various different jobs. I have learned so much along the way. So, I don't want to brag too much, but I kind of think we are the ideal pair to break down the decline of sweater quality during the fast fashion era. Now, We ended up talking for about two and a half hours because obviously there was a lot to talk about. There always is. These things are complicated. I edited this down to two hours. It was very hard because I obviously enjoy talking to Danny way too much. And, you know, I thought about splitting this into two episodes. Like when we finished recording, I said to myself, this is going to be two episodes. But as I was listening and editing, it just, didn't work that way. It felt incomplete when split in half. So today's entire episode will be our conversation. There'll be no audio essays this week, although trust me, there will be plenty next week because I received a lot of them. And there will be no other real info from me this week either. But I can assure you that this episode will be super educational. Before we jump into that, I just wanted to share one other little bit of personal news with all of you, and that is that Dustin and I have officially signed a lease on a house back in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Where well, it's not quite where Close Horse began because the first ep- I don't know the first maybe like ten episodes of Close Horse were actually written and produced in Philadelphia, but it's where I really think of clotheshorse Horse, like, growing, you know, blossoming, all of those things. So I'm excited to be moving back. It's quite an epic move from Austin, Texas to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So uh, December's going to be pretty hectic. Um, we're making that move at the end of the year, which is like so much sooner than you think, but I'm really excited. I'm excited to be able to see all of my friends and family to live back there. I'm excited to be able to record IRL with people. I'm excited about all the great thrifting <laughs> and many, many other things. Lancaster is really, really cool. And it has its own budding slow fashion movement. So I'm, I'm excited to be back there. Okay, well, enough about me. Let's jump into this very long, but hopefully for you, because it was for me, very enjoyable conversation. All right, Danny, you, it's weird. You're like, a regular in my mind, right? And uh, like, I feel, I consider you one of the founders of this like modern slow fashion community that we live in, but you haven't been on the podcast in like two
1: years. It's crazy. I cannot believe it's been that long. It, I realized it was that long though, when I was like thinking back to when we were talking about doing an episode together (laughs) And, um, it was like about, we wanted to do one on like trends and, and trend cycles. Um, and then I told you, I was like, my mental health is not there right now. I can't really, I don't really feel like I can, I can do this without like crying (laughs) because I was like, found out I was pregnant, but also, did like my insurance was canceled oh god like when 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 my insurance company found out so that's a whole long story but yeah i when i was thinking about when i was and then before that it had been like a year so now that's been or maybe it had been six months or something so yeah over two years yes long and short of it we should really do that trend episode someday we actually should yes i agree i have like Since we started talking about it, I've had like so many thoughts on what we could talk about.
0: Yeah, seriously. I like whenever you want to, I think that that would be really fun because I was actually thinking it was weird. I was thinking about trends this morning as I was getting dressed because I was thinking like I put something on and I was like, is this like uncool? and then I was like, who the fuck cares? Yes, but, who cares? But like, you know, you know, because you, when you work in this industry for a long time, yeah. you're like seven, seven years ahead of everybody else sometimes. Yeah. And you like, by the time something is the trend, you're like, oh, I'm so over that. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, but like, I feel like I've, been making great strides at like unpacking that because I had a moment this weekend where I put on an outfit and I was thinking about each article of clothing I was wearing and like first of all let me preface it by saying I looked in the mirror and I was like I look fucking rad but then I (laughs) realized like wow all the clothes I'm wearing are very old like some of these I've had for like six years like this, you know, whatever, like all these things I had acquired pre-pandemic and yet I still felt awesome and like not uncool. So thank you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now I, I was, you know, people are always like asking me like, oh, well, where do you buy clothes? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I actually like really don't buy clothes yeah. because I have a ton that I really love. Yes. And when I look at what's in my closet, to me, they are trendless. Yeah. Um, and it's the ones that were the most attached to a trend at the time that like I ended up, you know, selling on Poshmark or something. A hundred percent. Um, yeah, completely. and I, it's, it's just all propaganda, right? Especially like as you know, today we're going to talk about sweaters, spoiler everyone. <laughs> but, uh, as I was looking through websites, looking at sweaters today and yesterday, I was like, you know, sweaters really like kind of doing the
1: same thing they have been for a long time. And, I was and t- thinking the same thing when right? I was doing some research. I haven't really looked at those websites in a really long time. Same. And I started looking and I was like, And I even looked at some of the brands I used to work for and I was like, wait, this isn't actually that much different from what I was designing five years ago for these brands. And that kind of shocked me because, like, I think, you know, honestly, like a lot of it could be the same design, but the chances are that the person who bought that thing I designed five years ago doesn't have it anymore. But for whatever reason, (coughs) they might be buying this new one. And it's like, well, there are many reasons why they don't have that old thing, but it's, I don't think it's, Specifically because it wasn't a good style or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll get into the reasons why they don't yeah. have that sweater.
0: Anymore. <laughs> we'll we'll get into that for sure. I'm excited to talk to you today about sweaters, and this whole thing happened thanks to the power of the internet. When you sent out an email from Picnicwear, mm-hmm. your business, yep. when you talked about a recent Amanda Mull piece for the Atlantic, which most of you by now who are listening to this have probably read, but if not, don't worry, I'm going to share the link in the show notes. Um, the article was called "Your Sweaters Are Garbage." approximately 9,000 people on social media sent it to me in a 24-hour period, which was good because I might I have missed it. I only got it
1: sent to me by my dad. So. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So I read it, you know, and I we're going to talk a lot about it. Um, there's nothing wrong with this article, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation um anyway so Danny sent out an email in which she talked about it and why her recent sweater collection is different and I posted a screenshot of it in stories because I was like this is a really good email right it's Thanks. educational it it this is like the grossest alg- like uh, analogy but I use it all the time when I'm giving people business advice was like sometimes you gotta show how the sausage is made yes. right <laughs> to explain why your business works the way it does and I thought yeah. it was like on point um and I you know I shared that and then you were like, hey, should I just like go on closed doors and talk about this or whatever? <laughs> and then I was like, great. Okay, sold. Let's set this up. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited for us to talk about this because I will tell you, like since even you and I talked to prep for this episode in the past week or two, I have been seeing more and more conversations specifically on tiktok where i spend more time now than i used to which before was zero time so it's Mm. all relative (laughs) um a lot of conversations coming up about like why are clothes so crappy now yeah um you and i have been living in this for a really long time so we saw it happen and the clothes have been crappy for a long time i want to assure all of you um someone did a tiktok uh a content creator named Meredith Lynch on TikTok TikTok, and a ton of people tagged me and were like, you should ask Clothes Horse Podcast why clothes suck. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll make, I'll make a video and I'll explain like how this all happened. Mm -hmm. And it's just been like starting this larger conversation. And I even was on Reddit yesterday and someone was like, have you guys noticed that clothes suck now? So I think we're at this like moment of reckoning. I like to believe. Yeah. We're finally figuring it out because I will tell you, as I said in my reel about this, that clothes have been crappier for a long time. And on the buying and design side, we assumed at some point customers would get sick of it, but they like never
1: did. Mm -hmm. So we just kept doing it.
0: Not, like, nefariously, you know, right. but just, like, why just wouldn't we? It just
1: became habit. Like, this is what we do now. Right. But it is it is interesting to me that, like, you are seeing this emerge as well, because I'm seeing people respond in this way. And to me, I'm just like, um, yeah? Like, what? Of course they're garbage. What are you talking about? Like... They've been garbage for so yeah. long. So it's just so... I'm really wondering what that tipping point was for people... To realize that, I'm here for it. Me too. It's just really interesting to me that it's like kind of taken this long. And um, yeah, I hope more people realize it and question it and um, consider how that can affect their own shopping habits.
0: Totally. I think it's one of those things where you kind of have the feeling that things aren't as good as they used to be, but you don't say it out loud. And then you finally do. And then everyone around you is like, yeah,
1: I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I feel like people also, I mean, people don't understand how clothes are made. You've said this a thousand million (laughs) quadrillion times Yeah, and they don't know what makes a good garment from a bad garment. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have two next to each other, like, you know, you're looking at both, like most people who are not like educated in clothing construction or what have you will be able to be like, oh, that one's shitty. This one's this one's well-made and not really know why, but like, it's just this, like, you can just tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I-, I wish that people could be a little bit better versed about like what makes clothing good and what, you know, good quality and what doesn't. So obviously we're going to talk about the specifics of sweaters today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: You know, I said I don't buy a lot of clothes. Um, when I do buy clothing, I try to shop secondhand. And regardless of whether I buy something or not, I try on a lot of clothes at thrift stores. Like, I'm an yeah. avid thrifter, and I just like to know what's up. So if I see something that is labeled with my size and it still has the tag on it, I'm like, I got to know. What yeah. is the fatal flaw of this garment? Good call, yeah. Right? And it's always just the most ridiculous fit. Like, I tried on mm-hmm. this Shein dress. Okay, it was really cute. Wow. I was like, is this, am I going to thrift a Shein dress? Because <laughs> Dustin was like, that is a really good dress. And I put it on and my arm wouldn't go through the armhole <sighs> above my elbow. I was like, uh, okay, well, like, I know why that's here. And it was like a fatal flaw to that garment. Like there was yeah. no fixing it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, for sure. Um, And that's how I see a lot of really bad fit, really weird sewing that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. of course, just like a lot of bad fabrics that are already snagged and the tags are still on so it's 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 pretty it's pretty bad out there right now I gotta say like I don't know if it's really gotten worse than it did was five six seven years ago but it's been going strong and I will also say this listen I have many issues with Shein I do not support shopping there if you got to do what you got to do like no shame right Mm -hmm. but I will tell you that the Shein quality is no worse than the quality I'm seeing on other labels at the thrift store. Yeah. Like the Gotta one thing that is that consistent. Yeah, It's just all not good. Right? Yeah. And so when people are like, I don't thrift Shein, I'm like, mm, I don't know. If you're thrifting other brands, you should just give it a try. If it fits you and you like it, you're going to wear it's it. true. You know?
1: I completely agree with that. And like, you know, I think unpacking like what what creates the like the price tag that's on the clothing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like demystifying that which you do a lot will kind of help people understand that it's like just because this top is nine dollars from Shein but like this other top from like Zara is like 29 doesn't mean that the 29 dollar one is automatically better quality it's just like think about for example just one example out of many like marketing budgets like Zara Mm -hmm. has like beautiful photography their website is like oh my god I'm shopping at like a contemporary brand you know Mm -hmm. you're paying for that in that $29 garment so like yes we're talking about two cheap brands but like at the root of it like there doesn't have to be much difference between the products themselves because you're paying for other things too
0: And I think that's a really good call out that we're going to be coming back to time and time again as we unpack sweaters today Mm -hmm. that you cannot spot quality or lack thereof by the price tag because plenty of things that are expensive are the same as the lower price stuff. Um, That doesn't mean that... Like there aren't great things out there that are high quality, long lasting, that are a higher price point. Right. But Mm -hmm. when we assume that the dividing line, the way we can tell is price, we are wrong for sure. And I think that there are a lot of brands out there that sort of trade on that, that that's part of their branding, that somehow their stuff is exceptional. And. It's not. It's not. Because it's it's the same factories, it's the same fabrication, just better branding.
1: Yeah, I mean, luxury fashion is the, <sighs> like, the perfect example of that. Like, just the most insane inflated prices, but yep. it's... It's described as luxury, which I feel is very unfair that they get to use the word luxury because it's like what gave you the right to call yourself luxury? Oh my gosh and so <laughs> much of it is about a lot lately. And so much like, of it is polyester. Yeah, yes, exactly and it's like these crazy price tags and I'm like, you know what's luxurious to me being able to buy from a small business or a maker and like, know that, like, the person who's emailing you is the person who made your garment. That yeah. is luxury to me. Not, like, buying something with a a logo on it that's made out of polyester but costs, like, $3,000. But, like, everyone knows oh, you spent $3,000 from know. the C-wear. That's not luxurious. I don't know how that's considered luxurious, but it's, like, certainly not my definition of luxury. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I let's, like, normalize... Uh, shopping small and from like independent designers as the true luxury, right? And not yes, like please. this nonsense that, I mean, yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> you know, so we were inspired by the Amanda Mull piece. And like I said, I'm going to share it in the show notes. And I know, Danny, you have some caveats that you want to share there. I just wanted to read one little passage from it that I think, like, I'm going to start by saying I enjoyed this article. I'm glad it exists. I think it opened people's eyes. I kind of wish that Amanda would have talked to people who actually work in the industry as designers and buyers because uh, I, I think it tells a stronger story than this, actually. But she did talk to Imran Islam, who is a textile science professor and knit expert at FIT.
1: And I'm just going to read this a little It Was it FIT or was it at a North Carolina university? Because I'm like, I, I DM'd that person, so. I'm pretty sure she said
0: <laughs> FIT in the
1: article. Okay, sorry, I could be wrong. Let me
0: see. What if it was the Fashion Institute of Technology of North Carolina? It might've
1: been another, Oh, it's a different so person. Sorry. Yeah,
0: Andre West is the other person she talked to. Uh, okay, sorry. And like, so, you know, they obviously have a broad range of knowledge to share here, these two professors. But ultimately, like, there is something to be said for like working working in this in there and like seeing how this stuff goes down and so today i hope that Uh, we can shed a light on that. But this passage, I think, was like getting closer to where we are right now, right? So according to Islam, if you push down retail prices with cheap labor, they'll no longer bear the use of quality materials. If you push down retail prices with cheap materials, they'll no longer bear the wages of garment workers with more skill and experience. If you push down both as much as possible, you stand a pretty good chance of gaining market share. So basically, if you you know, the whole story of clothes horse practically is that we have become kind of addicted to clothing being cheap. Like our concept of the, va- of the value of really anything at this point is so messed up by the era of fast everything, which is like new stuff as much as possible, as often as possible at low, low prices, right? And so every industry has jumped on this. And in fact, the theme of next year for Clothes Horse is going to be unpacking fast everything, not
1: even just mm-hmm. fast fashion. Yeah, But
0: we know that our sense of value is skewed and clothing specifically is cheaper now than it was in the 1990s. So to get sweaters to be cheaper, to fit in and be successful in the era of fast everything, you have to keep the prices low. You have to lower, in fact, lower them, right? And so you have two Mm -hmm. options here. You can uh, push on like the actual cost of producing the garments, which means, you know, suppressing wages for all the garment workers involved, the, the, you know, the the yarn factory, all the stuff, pushing down on that. Or you which is where we always start in apparel buying uh you swap out the materials right so you you switch to cheaper materials and basically what is imram islam is saying in this article is that if you Push too hard on the wages, you won't get high quality product. If you push too hard on the quality of the yarn itself, then you also mm-hmm. won't get good product. And people, no matter how skilled, won't be able to make good things out of them. So it won't be successful. So you kind of got to push on both of them at the same time. yeah. And then you can be successful because neither will be too bad, right? Right. Yeah. So we're going to talk a lot about that today and kind of how we get there. Now, Danny, you had a caveat about this sweater article and I want you to, <laughs> yeah. I want you to lay it out there because you're right. And you're an expert. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is, I, I kind of spoke to you in more detail about this. I didn't put this in my, in my newsletter. Cause it was like a little, like kind of just defeating the purpose of the whole article. But my whole point was that She So Amanda Mall, what she does in the article is that she basically says that this whole conversation started because some comedian shared a photo of Billy Crystal next to a photo of... What is that actor's name? I don't know. I'm terrible at actors. I don't remember. Some modern actor. And both of them are, like, in the same pose. Basically, this modern actor is, like, um, is mimicking the pose of Billy Crystal. And they're both wearing... Ivory cable knit sweaters, and she said, and it brought up the question of like, why are sweaters just so poor quality now? And she's comparing the the Billy Crystal one that was from the '80s or what have you, and then the the current one, which I believe is like a four hundred dollar Ralph Lauren sweater or something. And while I totally agree with her point. I think <laughs> what was interesting is the examples that were given, because just by looking at the two sweaters, the one on the left to me that Billy Crystal is wearing is like a very lofty acrylic sweater. Like I can see that sweater in a thrift store. I've seen it time and time again. And the one on the right is a very, like very expensive cable knit. It's got different cables across the sweater, um, which is more expensive to knit and it's densely knit, which is more expensive to knit, which we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, um, so when I look at them, I'm like, oh, the sweater on the right is like, would absolutely be more expensive to yeah. produce. <laughs> um, so in a weird way, she's kind of defending her point is that like, we don't really know what a expensive sweater, like a a beautifully made sweater is anymore. No. Oh, absolutely not. And yeah. so it was just like, to me, I love the article, but I just kept getting stuck on that point because like... I I could tell just from looking at it that the sweater on the left was, like, probably 100% acrylic, if not, like, 50 acrylic, 50, well, uh, 50 cotton or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought it was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and
0: I will say, like, sweaters are definitely crappier in general now than they were in the 80s when Billy Crystal was wearing that sweater for a lot of different reasons Absolutely. and in a lot of different ways that we're going to talk about. But sweaters being a a mix of synthetic and natural fibers is kind of nothing new um because that's mm-hmm. where customers tend to cast their vote which we're also going to talk about today um because yeah. I'll tell you a lot of people who sent me this this article were like yeah I don't know why we can't all switch to natural fibers and I'm like y'all don't want nice things okay like we'll talk about that <laughs> today but you know that I'm right yeah, daddy yeah. I was like when you yes. included that in your in your email I was just like thank you thank you okay So first things first, I would like to ask all of you, are you reading the content labels on the things you buy? And are you looking on the websites before you make the purchases at the content, Um, which in most cases is there, but not always? I kind of question how often people are looking at that because in my experience, people choose sweaters and pretty much everything else they wear by how it feels right yeah. and i say this all the time but people think the 70s was the golden era of polyester i mean you can close your eyes i can like feel a 70s double knit polyester garment like in my hand like i it's mm-hmm. I, it's so visceral
1: you could spot it from a mile away in a thrift store like you know it from a totally. the thrift store like you totally. can see it
0: that fabric doesn't really exist anymore but we actually live in the golden era of polyester right now with about 65 to 70% of all garments made being polyester in one way or another. Um, yeah. And it's because it's, it's cheap, right? Now, as a review for everyone, what is polyester? Well, polyester is made from fossil fuels. It is literally the same fibers that you would find in a plastic water bottle, Um, that PET fiber, and it is just uh, spun, stretched, all kinds of things to make it, to turn it into fabric, right? But it starts in the same way, which means, It's not biodegradable. It means, yes, it literally is plastic. Uh, I don't even want to, sometimes I start to get into like a mental health spiral thinking about what polyester clothing could be leaching onto my body as I'm wearing it. It certainly sheds microplastics every time you wash it, even sometimes when you're wearing it. And it's not a good story, but it has become the way clothes are made because it is cheap. Um, and when we started to, in, in my career to really start shifting into polyesters around 2008, 2009, after the recession, during the recession, uh, we thought it would be a temporary thing because we really thought there was no way that customers would be into this long term. And guess what? Customers didn't care. So we kept doing it. And I'll tell you, polyester, the technology for it is so good. Uh, It has progressed so much since the 1970s that you can't guess polyester by looking at it or feeling it even, you
1: Mm -hmm. know, unless
0: you're a major textile expert.
1: And I think another note on that is, like, when we talk about the content labels is... You're saying polyester, but it's kind of more encompassing than that. It's like synthetic fibers Mm -hmm. in general. Like to be totally honest, like with sweaters, like I very rarely, like you said earlier, most sweaters are right now are like a blend Mm -hmm. of like a lot lot. of different (laughs) fibers. Yeah. Sometimes it's like six in a row and you're like, wow, that's crazy. Um, but it actually is pretty seldom that polyester is in there. And so there are other synthetic fibers that are 100% 100% made up of chemicals, just like polyester is, that come under different names like polyamide, PBT, nylon, spandex, also known as lycra. Um, elastane, like the list goes on, so like you will find probably more likely see those fiber names in your content label than like polyester itself.
0: It's true. And I uh was looking across the internet and getting myself riled up looking at sweaters. And one thing that I noticed time and time again is that in many cases, the retailer would, would like the description, the name for the style would be like such and such wool sweater, such and such alpaca sweater. And when <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) clicked into the content, alpaca or wool would be one of the most minor parts of the blend or comp, it might be 33% polyamide and then 33% wool, you know, and then a bunch of other ones following that. Um, But the likelihood of you going online right now, I mean, and they exist, right? I saw it on Everlane. I saw it on a couple of other sites. There are places that are selling full, like full natural fiber sweaters. But not a lot.
1: And not a lot of full Mm -hmm. natural fiber sweaters, right? One of my faves at at one of my previous jobs was we had a sweater called the Hint of Casual Sweater. Which you have to give it to them for saying hint of. Because 3%, yeah, I would say that's a hint. That is... (laughs) That's a dash. Maybe even not worth noting, but... Let's just put it in the title of the sweater.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. So you don't get your expectations too high. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, all of these synthetics start as petroleum. um, And, you know, it's like melted, spun, smushed around. All kinds of things happen. But ultimately, the technology is so good that you could almost feel some of these fibers and think like, wow, this feels like a cloud, right? This feels soft. Yeah. And that brings me... Now you're going to use a term that I gives me major traumatic flashbacks to being a buyer. Yeah, <laughs> um, I will tell you that as a buyer, we rarely would sit around in meetings with designer production, and no one would say, "This is twelve percent uh, cashmere and thirty-seven percent dialogue, or, you know, forty percent polyamide." No, no one said that. Right? That didn't happen. We pass it around and we feel it, and we'd like, say, "Oh, this feels so nice. This feels so cozy. We feel so." Go ahead and say it. Say it, Danny.
1: <clears throat> yummy! Ah, mmm, so yummy! I love this yarn. It's so yummy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yum factor, right? Yeah. Uh, you haven't lived until you've sit, seen a bunch of adults sit around a table passing around swatches going mm, yummy yum <laughs> yeah uh, it's real and and yeah. and it's like extra gross when you think about it now cuz you're like oh y'all are like rubbing plastic me like mm yummy oh yeah, so exactly. good right Ugh. but this is like the y- more yums it got from the everyone in the meeting uh the more likely that sweater was going to be a bestseller
1: because customers because would come that's in. how the
0: customer yeah well when
1: they smush their hands into it
0: absolutely i mean i would also hear things like mm, it feels so expensive okay yeah the moment that someone says this feels so expensive that means it's ridiculously cheap <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah <laughs> looks so expensive. Same thing. Oh, it's so luxe so also. Not good. Yeah, not a good I was going to say
1: luxe is the other one. Oh, yeah.
0: so gross. Um, And really like what it is, is it's all about is like, okay, we got to hit this price, uh, but we also have to like appeal to the customer's like sensory, I don't know, just like sensory needs once. And I say this all the time. I was so glad you said it in your email, Danny. Customers think they want wool, they want alpaca, they want natural fibers. But that is not actually what they will buy. And Mm -hmm. it has been the bane of my existence my entire career.
1: Yeah, me too. It's so, so frustrating. I am like a wool addict. Like I love a scratchy wool sweater. Like, not that all sweaters, wool sweaters have to be scratchy, but like, you know, you layer that and it like looks amazing, keeps you warm as hell, still breathable. You like literally don't have to wash it and it won't smell for like a long time. Let's be real. Um, Yeah. Wool is like amazing. And yet like we would design like we would pick out a yarn that we loved and it's like five percent wool or something and we would get so many bad reviews Mm -hmm. like this sweater is so scratchy and I'm like did they receive the same sweater like I don't understand how anyone would describe this as scratchy like what is going on here this is absurd it's five percent wool everything else is synthetic like yeah it's tough Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, uh, it sucks. It sucks. Um, like in my experience, people really go for the most plasticky yarns. Yeah. Um, they're lofty, they're fluffy, they're soft, they're cozy, they're yummy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Delicious.
0: There was this fabrication we sold for years at Urban Outfitters that was called brushed. And uh, it wouldn't have been, like, in the sweaters area. It was in, like, heavy knits. That was, like, the Yeah, no, knits. we,
1: like, brushed Hachi. Uh, like, we, sometimes that fell into the sweaters category because even though it definitely wasn't a sweater like to the customer, they might call it a sweater. So it was always kind of like juggled back and forth. Can I just make a comment though? You just said when I used to work at Urban Outfitters.
0: Oh yeah. So (laughs) Danny was like, why don't you ever say Urban Outfitters? Cause that's where you worked or the other places you worked. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, back when I started Clothes Horse, I had just been let go from my job at Newly." which is a rental brand that is... I'm so proud of you, Amanda. Thank you. That is owned by (laughs) Urban Outfitters. Um, And as part of my... um, severance agreement which they gave me you know i've said this famously they gave me two weeks of severance and cut off my insurance in the middle of a global pandemic when i wasn't going to get a job for like a year uh i almost didn't sign this agreement because it was like only two weeks of pay but i was like i don't know what's going to happen to us next so i am going to sign this agreement Mm -hmm. and uh they were like you know as part of this agreement you can never say anything bad about the company publicly or even tell anybody unless they are completely uh, directly connected to your financial management, how little severance we gave you. (laughs) So I am like, you know, Danny was like, that was years ago. Like, you got to be set free so I'm setting myself free if I get an ugly letter you'll all be the first to hear about it but we're not yeah, saying anything
1: are you just making me culpable of this now no I'm like telling everyone I mean, that I'm the one to blame okay so
0: last year I talked to a lawyer about this
1: because it had been <laughs> okay. on my mind
0: specifically you know like like it it, it felt unfair because people stand these brands that are under yeah. the urban umbrella and It felt like I was complicit with my silence in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to a lawyer who was like, honestly, this severance agreement, should they decide to try to take you to court, is not going to stand up because the balance of power is so messed up at this point that it's like a global pandemic. You're not going to get a job for a long time. It's very clear, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, that you would be like kind of forced to sign this agreement.
1: So, uh, I mean, totally fair.
0: And it's a really bad look for them. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So when I was working at Urban back in the day, uh, <laughs> we would sell a lot of this brush fabrication. And it was like <sighs> candy for children. Like yeah. we, the first year we debuted it, like people could not get enough of it. And it was like
1: 900% polyester. I'm literally sweating thinking about oh, the fabric. Oh, it's so gross.
0: But it was very like fluffy because yeah. it was brushed. Like, after the fabric was woven, it was brushed to give it this, like, lofty layer on top of it that felt cozy. It's mm-hmm. not on, like, like, all that polar fleece kind of stuff, too. That's all plastic as well. Yeah. Um. But that was, like, people, I mean, we just couldn't keep it in stock. And it was one of those things, like, you wear it once or twice, and it pills to all hell. Like, it falls yeah. apart in the washer, that kind of thing. and. I always, when I think about like what customers or not what, but like how customers choose when they're shopping for clothing, especially when we talk about sweaters, heavier fabrications like that, that always comes up in my mind is like the prime example of how customers choose hand feel over
1: anything else always. Yeah. And it's also, especially when it comes to sweaters, that is a very tactile type of garment so it it does make sense in that regard but also we have to say like you know people aren't educated people don't understand like I you know I understand that when you brush the fibers on a fabric you're bringing those fibers to the surface Mm -hmm. right and when you bring like what is a pill First of all, a pill is what happens when the friction of fibers rubbing up against each other, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So if you're bringing all those fibers to the surface and it's kind of just all sitting there in the surface surface with this brushed effect, you're basically like giving those (laughs) fibers a place to move around and like rub up against each other. Yeah, you're giving them a head start on pilling. Yeah, Yeah. and by by bringing them out of the, the woven or knit fabric itself, you're also like, um, how to put it, like weakening the actual structure of the fabric Mm -hmm. to begin with. So you're bringing it to the surface, which promotes it to pill but you're also removing it from the structure which makes it weaker thus susceptible to holes to bagging out to just like just normal wear and tear that should take a long time to happen you're basically like like giving it a kick start yeah Yeah, like you said so it it is a
0: it is a garment with a short lifespan now do Mm -hmm. i think the designers and buyers and production people who worked on that think of it that way no of course not right they're just like Mm -mm. doing their jobs um the people who sold it to you in the store aren't thinking that either but that is the reality of these kinds of garments is that they have a very short lifespan right out of the gate no matter how careful you are when you care for them right yeah some of them are just like these brush fabrications for example are going to pill just from existing just from you wearing your coat over it to go out and run an errand you know so it's it's it makes me sad, and it's, like, often when when people are like, well, if we just switched everything to natural fibers, everything would be better. Like, when I hear that, I'm like, that's just, like, not how it works.
1: Yeah, and I also want to say that, like, pilling is not innately a sign of a poor quality fiber or garment or something like that pilling is natural and it will happen over time and even natural fibers will pill cotton will pill hello cashmere will pill Mm -hmm. like pilling is natural but it's like when you combine all these different traits together it's like the pilling is one of many things that make that a poor garment or a poor like a you know not a long-lasting fabric or fiber
0: totally you can only shave your sweater so many times before there's nothing left there.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know? Because just like what I was saying, what, you, like, just like brushing, shaving is like taking parts of the fiber away. So, pilling, I mean, um, shaving your sweaters is great. Like, I don't, I wouldn't tell people not to do that. You should absolutely do that if you've got pills, but it's not something that should be done all the time. Like, if you're having to shave a garment after every single wear, eventually, the fibers are going to weaken so much that they're going to create holes because Mm -hmm. there's no more fiber keeping it together. So, yeah, that makes total sense that it would withstand one more wear from the consumer. Um, But once it came back, ultimately, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there were holes. (laughs) Let's
0: take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed, vintage, or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist, an upcycler, and a fashion designer. But Gabriella Antonis is also a feminist micro business with radical ideals. She's the one woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the world needs. If you find yourself in New Orleans, Louisiana, you may buy her ready to wear upcycled garments in person at the store Slow Down at 2855 Magazine Street. Slowdown Nola only sells vintage and slow fashion from local designers, and Gabriella's garments are guaranteed to be in stock in person. But they also have a website, so you may support this woman-owned and run business from wherever you are. If you're interested in Gabriella making a one-of-a-kind garment for you, DM her on Instagram at Gabriella to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram at Gabriella. That's Gabriella with one L. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpage life and style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Vagavan Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing accessories and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022. So, there's no easy fix for this other than changing how sweaters work. But, you know, we're going to talk about how sweaters come to exist as they are right now. But I'm going to tell you, I think that our brains, our human brains, we often want. A quick fix an easy black and white fix where we're like oh if we do x then y won't be a problem anymore so like for Mm -hmm. example people uh, if i every time i post about like some sort of labor issue overseas right someone will say well if we made everything in the united states that wouldn't happen and it's like ah, you'd think that but actually uh la has tons of forced labor and wage theft and everything else so nope not a fix either right or Another one that comes up all the time every time I talk about polyester or any synthetics is, well, if we just started making all of our clothes out of natural fibers again, we wouldn't have a problem. And actually, we would have a major problem because we cannot continue to consume clothing the way we do now, no matter what it's made of. And if we shifted to wool, cotton, other natural fibers. What we would have is a different environmental emergency on our hands, which would be yeah. like lack of farmland, a water shortage, and so much more. So there is no like, oh well, if we just do X, then Y is fixed. No, unless the X that we're going to do is buy less stuff in the first place. That's exactly. like the only solution, right?
1: What is that? Um, you used to always share this quote or quote, meaning like you used to always say it yourself. Something like there is no magic fiber mm-hmm. that we can, like, that allows us to continue to consume at the rate that we are now. Like, yeah, exactly. I can't remember exactly yeah, what that's ex- you, said, you, but- you said.
0: pretty much exactly <laughs> what I was say. that there's no magic fiber or magic fabric that lets us over-consume without repercussion. Yeah. Like, it all has a catch, right? And I almost would say, because I've read studies about this, that if we switched everything to 100% natural fibers, but we continue to buy and consume the way we do right now, uh, it would actually be worse for the planet than it is with us over consuming all of these synthetic fabrics, believe it Mm, or not.
1: Interesting. Because
0: that's how intense the impact of cotton, for example, is, and a lot of other natural fibers. They are so intensive in terms of water and land use.
1: Well, also I will add that like when synthetic fibers were first coming into the scene, like turn of the last century before that, whenever that was, um, one of the great things about it was how, um, how much more accessible it was because back then, you know, shipping like silk, um, or wool from wherever it was produced was really, really expensive. But what, with synthetic fibers, you could do that anywhere because all you needed was chemicals basically, and you didn't need all of the human power to, you know, raise the crops, to to like card the cotton, etc. It was like a lot of automated things. Mm -hmm. So like if we were to switch to all natural fibers, there would be a lot of like human cost within that too because of course in order to make it affordable we'd have to have like massive exploitation mm-hmm. to to make it as like easy to to produce as synthetic fibers are
0: absolutely i mean some of the most egregious human rights violations in the garment supply chain Happen in the area of cotton in mm-hmm. India. We have a lot of schemes that exploit young women, like these dowry schemes, where they come and work in like in a cotton mill for a few years in exchange for a dowry, and then wow. they're basically like trapped there for years. And then when they leave, they have very little money because they've been nickled and dimed from yeah. their agreement. Um, you know, we can't not talk about the Uyghur Muslims in China, mm-hmm. and really like many other religious groups and dissidents in China are put into these work camps where they're cultivating cotton or doing other manufacturing. That's actually now also happening and has actually been happening for quite a while in the synthetic fabric realm in China too. But mm. I mean, cotton is like across the world, there's a lot of forced labor involved in cultivating cotton. So yeah, we like the, the The only simple answer is that we need to buy less stuff, but it's like there's no money in saying y'all
1: should buy less,
0: (laughs) right? Yeah, But that's the reality. It's not a sexy story. Exactly. But it's a true
1: story. But you know what is a sexy story is like yarn made out of tires, like old tires or something. Mm -hmm. So like that's the thing that (laughs) we get pushed all the time is like these really crazy regenerative yarns that are like super sustainable and circular and it's like... No. Like what, what does it take to make a yarn out of a tire? I'm I'm tired. I really hope there are no yarns made out of tires. I have no, I I believe it though. I know. I just had this visceral moment, like the smell of a tire. (laughs) And I was like, but like, let's be real. Like no matter what these things are, like it is a huge chemical process. I mean, even like, you know, I'll be honest, my sister like is always telling me like, Oh yeah, but it's bamboo. And I'm like, so um, bamboo is rayon like bamboo is a tree what how much do you think it takes to (laughs) like make that like that bark that tree pulp into a soft luxurious fiber a shit ton of chemicals and processing so like I think that like there's also a lot of like greenwashing in that regard too because like I see bamboo as being like on these, on like you know, so many different things that make it seem like it's like a really good, like sustainable fiber to use when it has so many issues as well.
0: Yeah, they, like there's there's just no easy solution beca- because because. Or I should say, there's no easy solution that just lets you keep shopping. And unfortunately, like, if you're like Nike or any other retailer out there, I think Nike because I think they made stuff out of recycled tires. That's why they're on the top of my brain. (laughs) But like, if you're one of these brands, you can't say like, hey, y'all, just like buy less stuff. It's the best thing for the world. Yeah. Well, what are the shareholders going to say? Right. You know, so instead it's like, here's this other scheme that actually might be worse in the long run. And- yeah, it's it. It's just, it's like the genie. We let the genie of overconsumption out of the bottle, and we need to jam it back in, and it's really, really hard. Yeah. Um. Uh, because I like honestly, like Danny, I think about this a lot, and I think we, all of us, our community, we need to. Unfortunately, it feels unfair. We're gonna have to do the work. Yeah. To put that genie back in the bottle because
1: the industries out there are not gonna do it. Yeah. I know. I mean, I've, I, I said this, I think I said this in a thread a while ago is that it's like, it's very frustrating that like the labor, a demystifying, um, like what goes into garment production, what, you know, the ethics, the process, the like environmental toll, all that like education is put on the backs of small businesses and like makers who Mm -hmm. nobody's paying them to do this work of educating. Nobody's funding that. And to be honest, like most of us aren't really making money off of the things we're selling anyways. But like, it's our job to share it because no one else is going to do it. And like we do it because we want to and it's vital and this is our cause. And it's like, we're desperate for people to understand and they're not mm-hmm. learning it in other places because it's just not out there for them to hear. Yeah.
0: It's really, really hard. And you know what? I was thinking about this recently. Um, cause you know, like, I met you back in like 2020. That's when I started Close Horse. I feel like that's when a lot of us started doing this work, Mm -hmm. right? I've seen so many people kind of disappear from the movement Mm -hmm. since then. And I, no shade on them because I understand it. And this work is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It is unpaid. It is like 24 hours a day. People want to fight you on the internet. People want so much of your time. It is very, very exhausting. And there are times when you just feel like, I'm coming up against this huge machine that will not stop moving. And I, like, I'm just, you know, it's hard. You're like, as an individual, right? Um, But I also think like, man, we need everybody we can to be having these conversations and telling the people around them so that we can share this work, you know,
1: and reach more people. But it is hard. It is really, really hard. It's really discouraging. And like- It is. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's like so many sides to it. It's like, you know, in some respects, I'm like, you don't know if you're actually having an impact on anyone mm-hmm. also like truly having an impact, like people that are like close in my lives to me, like my family and friends, like I see them continuing some of their shopping habits and I'm just like, what have I been like, you know, putting all this energy into if like these people that are closest to me, are s- still have their, like, Amazon subscriptions. <laughs> you know, know what I, I mean? Know. Like, I know. I know that's such a little trivial thing, but I'm, like, it's just exhausting. And, like, yeah, at the end of the day, like, like, I don't know why people think, like, we get paid a lot of money <laughs> to do what we do. <laughs> like, we literally are, like, not making any money. So it's, like, eventually, like, I do get why so many people, like, well, I've used this expression so many times, um, with my husband, but like why so many people are quote throwing in the towel, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, it's funny just so you know, if you're a listener and you don't know, picnic wear does a lot of things made out of vintage towels. So I, over the years have said to myself many times, like, okay, I'm ready to throw in the towel. So it's a little joke with myself, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really, really freaking hard. And, Right now, like, I'm telling you guys, (laughs) listening, if you're not a small business owner, listen up. Your small business owner friends are suffering, are really, really having a hard time. So if you've ever said, like, support small business, like, (laughs) you got to actually show your support every once in a while. I know it's hard, but, like, I am so tired of seeing, like, small businesses, small shops, like, makers etc say like sorry I can't do it anymore like it is so so sad to me I'm sorry I I that was a tangent I didn't mean to go no I think it's a good one that people need to hear
0: like I you know you know Tuesday Bassin is gonna is closing down her store at the end of the year I didn't know that I know it's really sad right and I looked at one of her posts about it because also like i follow tuesday bassin but damn if instagram's ever going to show me one of her posts seriously i haven't seen it i don't think i've seen her
1: stuff in forever so
0: i was i heard about it and i went to her you know her profile and was looking at the post and someone said oh man i wish i would have known that i would have bought something from you (sighs) oh my god guys (laughs) like show your support if you don't have the money fine show your support in other ways. And I like honestly it's the same thing for close horse. I had like a total meltdown last month where I was like I'm ending close horse at the end of this year. Aww. I have since backtracked on that, but I was like the level of work that comes with this with like literally no reward sometimes is really really hard. Yeah. And I just I I think that people take, uh, the work that we all do for granted, unfortunately, sometimes, Mm -hmm. and reading that comment on Tuesday Baston's post was like, oh, if I would have known that it's really hard to run a small business, I would have bought something. (laughs) Like, if I would have known you would go out of business, (sighs) I would have bought something. Like, don't, don't let that happen, everyone. Like, I, I know it is really hard for all of us out there, but let's do all the things we can to support one another right now and kind of always-
1: it's also really, really hard to, like, to admit that to your following. Like, I'm about to go out of business. Yeah, I know. Because well, like, that's not the world I, I, we live in. I don't in. think you're going to see that often. No. Because also, let's be real, like, like every marketing thing I've ever read, like, basically says that, like, people don't want to buy from you if they think, like, out of pity. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, they're not going to want to purchase. So that does more of a disservice, to be totally honest, to, like, announce that. So... If there are small businesses that you would, like, hate to see go away, like, you got to show your support.
0: Mm -hmm. you got to show up for them. And, you know, there are a lot of ways you can do that, right? Um, But I do think, like, we're totally going off in a major detour here. But I think that we all tend to keep, like, take for granted that all of these people who inspire us, who educate us, who make us feel part of something are going to be around forever. And we can't we can't we can't assume that i think like 2023 has been a turning point for a lot of people who started doing this work in like 2019 2020 of them being like i'm burned out all i do is work and i have nothing to show for it yeah and we're just beginning to see that change and people disappearing so we gotta we gotta all rally together because Otherwise, we're just going to keep seeing our, our friends buying sweaters made out of tires or whatever the heck is going to come next, you know? Like, I think it's amazing that we're having these larger conversations about why clothes suck now, you know? <laughs> Let's keep having them, you know? Yeah. And getting more and more people in our lives to move away from those companies that sell us all this bad stuff and do bad things for the world. You know, I saw my sister-in-law list her, uh, share her Amazon Uh, wish list on Facebook today and I just got so sad. I was like, man, Mm. I can't even reach the people in my near orbit. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, so we all have people in our lives who listen to us, who care about us, who like to hear what we have to say, say it, say things, this is the truth about sweaters. This is the truth about this. This is why things are bad now. You deserve better. We deserve better. The planet deserves better. Our kids deserve better. Everyone deserves better. Uh, Let's make a change collectively, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's continue talking about sweaters. That's a nice little (laughs) like intermission. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So I thought we could talk a little bit this is something I talked about uh, in in my reel about like why clothes are not as great right now. And yeah. now with both of us here, we have a buyer and a designer. If we had a production person here, we would have the the triangle Golden. of yeah. clothing dilution complete. Um, <laughs> but you know, I wanted to talk about kind of how where we start in the design sample process and where we end up like with what's actually in the stores and all the websites for customers yeah. to buy and how that happens. Because I don't know about you, but I was never like, you know what I would love to do for a living is make really disappointing stuff. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> oh my but, god. Now I never said that in my life, but man did I do it.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Inevitably, that is what you do. And it's interesting I noticed the people who had been like that were way higher level than me in buying early in my career. You know, like they never wore clothes from Urban Outfitters, right? Um, they never even really wore clothes from any of the other sister brands. Like they mm-hmm. bought it, you know, like a luxury clothes and stuff. And I was always like, that's so yeah. weird. We make so much cute stuff. Right. And then <laughs> yeah. I, I work in it for a couple of years and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's terrible. It breaks my heart. Um, yeah. I will say like at urban, it was never as extreme as it was at nasty gal where we would start with this stunning sample. And by the time we finished, it was like a plastic nightmare. Yeah. But you know, I thought we'd start with that. So My experience as a buyer is like often, you know, we on the buying side, we're doing a bunch of like data analysis and we're kind of coming to the table with design and saying like, hey, we need this many designs, this many colorways for this period, right? Mm -hmm. And we might even say like specifically, this one needs to be sleeveless. This one needs to be long sleeve. This needs to be turtleneck, right? And we would give you all the kind of framework for what we need. And that's all based on what we sold last year. Now, one thing you got to remember in any company, but especially in the world of fast fashion, this year's sales have to be higher than last year's and next year's sales will be higher than this year's. And that's just what you have to hit. And also everything has to be more profitable than it was last year. So we really lean heavily into like what's performed before, how can Mm -hmm. we make that again, get people to buy it who already have it and have it be more profitable while also sprinkling yeah. in some new stuff, right? I think that's a pretty good yeah. summary of what yeah, it is to be a, a buyer. Real,
1: I'm, like, really shocked by how easily you summed that I up. I mean,
0: I've been doing it for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, then you're the designer, right? You're our sweater mm-hmm. designer. What do you do next?
1: Woof. Oh, my God. Okay. So... Typically, we will have references of the things that the buyers loved because they made us lots of money. So we will be very clear on what those items are. We will also be very clear on the dogs, the things that didn't sell. (laughs) Yes. Um, And we will also be very clear on why the buyers felt like... They didn't sell and we might not agree with those reasons. And (laughs) when I say we, it could be like me and the other designer or whatever. Like we also don't agree, but like there are so many different variables between these sweaters. So how can you really nail down the reason why one didn't sell and one did sell? And so much of our shopping habit is emotion, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can't get into the brains of the customers and, and most. Most of the time, if you did, they wouldn't even be able to explain why they love the thing. Yeah. It's just yummy.
0: Oh, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah <it's> like, as <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Our job as buyers is to try to get as close as possible using data. And like for me, always about like observation, going out and watching people interact in the stores. You know, like the thing is, especially if you work for a company that has stores in addition to a website, there's – What sells or doesn't sell sometimes is a little bit of a roll of the dice because if the corporate merchandising team doesn't give the direction that that style should be like focal or used on Mm -hmm. mannequins or have a good spot in general, it could be jammed back in the corner and no matter how much you and I love it, it's not going to sell because no one's going to see it. And so that's the other thing when you're a buyer, you're kind of like, why didn't this sell? Because you got, you're going to be asked a million times why it didn't sell and what you learned from it. And so you yeah. have to, you have to come up with some sort of excuse. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard.
1: Because but, your are like, basically your career is contingent on things selling. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you kind of really have to know how to talk and, um, explain and understand. And even if you don't, Understand? Mm-hmm. You have to
0: sound like you do. You do, you do, because no one's gonna. Here's the thing: you can't ever say like I remember being in a meeting where there had been just this epic East Coast blizzard for, and like the whole last week, the East Coast had been like everyone was snowed in, right? So stores mm-hmm. were technically open because our company was like evil overlord in that way and expected people to come into work, but no one actually went shopping because they were snowed in, and so our sales mm-hmm. were terrible. Now mm-hmm. any person would say, "Well, your sales were terrible." because of the blizzard, but instead we had to be like, well, we think sales are slow because of, you know, we didn't have enough uh, long sleeve turtlenecks in the store yet, but they're (laughs) on their way. Like that's, you could never use weather as an excuse, the economy, nothing like that. So you have to like, you have to come up with a reason. Someone always has to be to blame. Right, and when you're a buyer, like literally if sales aren't good, you are to blame. Someone was asking me like, hey, why did you get yelled at so much at your last job? Uh, like, were you missing something? What was going on? And I was like, oh, uh, because sales were bad. Yeah. And it was like completely out of my control, but it was my responsibility.
1: And you also, I have to say, you also can't say, like, even if you have a wonderful memory for meetings and interactions, you can't be like, oh, well, the GMM said, that we should change the yarn to this yarn and it made it really (laughs) shitty. Like, you can't say that. You can't
0: say that. Even though that's the truth. I mean, this thing I cite all the time as, you know, like when you're in a buying interview, it's always like, what's the biggest mistake you made in your career? and What did you learn from it? And I always have the same story, which is when my GM made me buy 10,000 straw fedoras, even though I said, listen, that was a thing last year. It was great. We made a lot of money. (laughs) the tide has turned on fedoras it's embarrassing to wear a fedora now there are memes do you want me to explain what a meme is like that's how i felt when i was talking (laughs) to him there are memes on tumblr about fedoras we cannot sell fedoras anymore and he was like if you don't go back to your desk right now and write a po for ten thousand uh straw fedoras you can consider your job done And so I went back to my desk and I wrote a PO for 10,000 straw fedoras and guess what? They never sold at all. Not at 25% off, not at 50% off, not at 75% off. We literally had to job them out and like donate them. And (sighs) all season long, why are hats missing their sales? Why are hats missing their sales? Well... The D- GM said I had to write a 10,000 uh, units of Stravodors. Yeah. I had to cancel everything else that was on I was planning to order, and that's all we have. And no one wants them. No, I can't say that.
1: Such a common, common scenario. Such a common
0: scenario. And then, I mean, this was still pretty early in my career, so I hadn't learned that like you cannot win, right? Mm-hmm. In my performance review, I said I feel really frustrated because I'm not. I'm not being allowed to make decisions on my own, but then I'm like, accountable for the decisions that other people are making. And I cited yeah. the Straffadoras thing. And my boss was like, I think you should look somewhere else for a job. <gasps> and so I did. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, oh like that was like really happened. You know, I didn't get my bonus. I got yelled at for like six months straight.
1: This the is- way you summed that up though, like I never, like I never really thought about it that way, but that's exactly how I felt in my career too. But like- like kudos to you for like having the foresight to, to like put that into words despite <laughs> how it was received. Like that is that perfectly encapsulates how I felt so much of my career. Oh
0: my god, totally. And I will tell you that once again, like I was saying earlier, like we don't sit in these meetings and we're like, what's the crappiest thing we could make? <laughs> like we're like right. so excited. But unfortunately, so many of these decisions are out of our hands. That like yeah. we bear the responsibility of them, but like we knew it was a bad idea to begin with. You know, we had no choice. Um, and I know design, I mean, like I, even when I was a buyer, an executive would walk by and put a tear from a magazine on my desk and be like, make this. And I would be like, uh, right. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's so similar in design. And cause
1: then you're also, depending on who your buyer is, you're dealing with that too, right? Yeah, I mean, you basically just, the past little conversation we just had just described the design process, basically. (laughs) So if any of you are wondering what it's like to be a designer, like, Amanda, you just described it. Because I was like, how do I summarize what the design process is like? And that's pretty much it. If that didn't make any sense to you, then perfect, you get it. Um Yeah, pretty much good <laughs> summary. It's
0: just really yeah. weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like everything's out of order, nobody makes sense. You state your opinion and you're really confident about it and you back up with tears and with stats and you explain, but then someone says no because somebody walked into the room wearing something from Zara and it was really cute. Oh, and why don't we have a- that on the wall? And so here's our collection now okay, that's so, being bought. So
0: that's a great okay, so that's a great call out. So Basically, the next step is like sample review. Well, like Mm -hmm. maybe sketch review, depending on where you're working, where you would sit down with your sketch ideas and show them to your buyer and you'd talk it through. But then next is like the samples are on the wall. And I was telling you that over my career, I found more and more when I would go to these sample reviews that over time, all the samples on the wall weren't even samples that we'd made yet. They were Mm -hmm. things that someone had bought somewhere else that we were gonna copy. And the last sample review I did before the pandemic, four sweaters, every single thing on the grid, which I was like, oh, these are all so cute. And someone sat next to me and like, don't get attached to them. Those are bot samples. And I was like, oh.
1: (laughs) They're gonna look nothing like that. They're gonna look nothing like
0: that. Cause that's the other thing. So you're gonna get pressed to copy more and more stuff. Um, that it'll be like, here's this $500 sweater. It's like Marc Jacobs. It's fully cashmere. It's like hand-knit by like a person. Uh, yeah, we want that. But we need it to be $58 retail. Yeah, Retail, right? And so you get into this quandary where you're
1: like being expected to create these things that are not feasible. Yeah, and then in many cases, you're at the same time as being told, copy this directly, but make it like 300% cheaper. You're also having, maybe this is just one of my jobs, but this was like definitely a common thread. You're also going to have to attend meetings where you talk about, um, how we can't copy things and we need to make sure like, have you ever heard the, the bus stop, blink test or something, like oh, two yeah. people at a bus stop, like um, if you blinked your eyes, would you be able to tell that they were wearing the same sweater or something? I don't even fucking remember. It's something like what, that. It made no sense. It made no sense, but but sense like, yeah. Yeah, but like, so you're being... Asked to, like, take these classes and commit to not copying things. And then somebody's putting a tear on your desk and saying, like, we need to make this exactly. And you're like, what? Exactly? You mean, like, inspired by? No, exactly.
0: Right. Or you're like, GM just (laughs) went to Europe and came back with, like, $10,000 worth of things he bought. Like, from Givenchy Yeah, exactly. And And he's like, (laughs) make
1: these, right? This was...
0: Like this has happened everywhere I worked. It was so egregious at Nasty Gal. Yeah. Like oh, someone,
1: yeah, you know, sense. it would
0: be like, "Here's this ten thousand dollar Givenchy jacket that we rented. We can't even afford to buy the sample. Let's make a like two hundred dollar version of that." Oh, that that mm-hmm. seems like that's gonna go well. And <laughs> it's the same thing would happen in sweaters everywhere I worked, and. Yeah. You know, once again, like you go into the meeting, the whole wall is stuff you're supposed to copy. And at the meantime, even as a buyer, like I was telling you back at Urban, back when Urban was like, there was this blog called Urban Counterfeiters, which I don't think exists anymore, but it was basically like where they would show stuff that Urban had copied. Um, They made us all sign an agreement saying that if we were ever even suspected, like something that we had bought was suspected to be a copy, we would immediately be terminated. Without that conversation. so
1: crazy Right, But then me. at the same
0: time, five minutes, you sign the agreement. Five mi- minutes later, your boss walks by and puts a tear on your desk of something they want you to copy or something yeah. they bought in L.A. or whatever. And so you're like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do here, <laughs> yeah. right? And then, so, you know, it's, we have sample review. We're like, oh, we're going to buy all these things. Of course, we can't afford any of them. But we're going to put in prices for them and plan it, right? So then the mm-hmm. samples come back. And this is usually like... You know, the first pass, in my experience, is production has tried really, really hard to stick to the uh, vibe of the original garment. But at the same time, like, design is there, like, hey, I made these things to make them different, right? Because we're all trying to be ethical people here. And so they're hanging on the wall. And two things happen in that meeting. One, the DM or the GM are like, uh... I liked it when it looked like the original better, and you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, we can't, we can't buy that because then we would be getting sued. Yeah, but the original was better. Okay, well, then maybe we shouldn't do this style. Can't you just make it look more like the original? So that's one thing that happens, right? Yeah. Or maybe everybody's like, these all look amazing. I can't believe we pulled it off. We copied all these things and no one will ever know. And then production's <laughs> like, yeah, but the thing- Here
1: are your prices. <laughs> right.
0: The thing about that sweater is in order to hit your margin target, it's going to have to be $300. And you're like, okay, cool. It needs to be 68 because that's what the bestseller was last year. So what do we do there? And this is when it starts, right? We're like, okay, yeah. we're going to sub out the yarn, yeah. right? Okay. Yes. Yes. First thing. This is the juice of it. Right. So,
1: and this is where I, I can't remember if you already mentioned this, but like where like the conversation of like what the content of the yarn is is kind of not really important Mm -hmm. it's more so just like what does it feel like and look like and look like right yes and look like yeah and um but, but however what layers into that with sweaters specifically I mean I'm sure with other garments but like my experience was in sweaters is the duty rates so like even if on its face like you're looking at like three different yarn cards and one of them is like let's say it's like good, better, best. So like cheap, like you've got one that's like super cheap, one that's medium and one that's expensive, let's say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that like whatever, like the garment you make out of the first one is going to be the cheapest because there's so many factors that layer into it. And like I was saying, one of them is duties. So I don't know if this has changed a lot in the past few years, but something that had like over 50% cotton would have a lower Duty rate when it was imported Mm -hmm. into the US than something that was like over 50% synthetic. And there are also different rates for like over 25% wool or something like that. So it's like not very cut and dry Mm -hmm. when you look at things. And then on top of that, one distinct difference between sweaters or knitted garments in general and cut and sewn garments, whether they're woven or cut and sewn knit, is that with sweaters, with knitted garments, you are paying for yarn and literally creating the fabric. So with cut and sew um, garments, you have a roll of fabric, mm-hmm. you're laying it out and stacking the fabric layer over layer, and you're cutting your pattern pieces out of the fabrics. But with a sweater, as long as it's fully fashioned, of course there's cut and sew sweaters as well, um, you're knitting the yarn into the fabric into the shape of the pattern pieces. Mm. So that's one distinct difference. And you have a lot of control over what that fabric looks like. So you are using one yarn, but there's so many things you can do with that yarn, which is the exact reason why I love sweaters so (laughs) much. It's so much fun, but we're not getting into that right now. But what I will say is like one of the big Things you have control over that can, um, result in like different price sweaters is tension. So like how tightly you knit or how loosely Mm -hmm. you knit. And this is actually a really good place to bring it back to that photo of the, um, Billy Crystal and the other fellow, Um, (laughs) was that on the left, like I look at Billy Crystal's crystal sweater and it's very, it's like pretty lightly loosely knit. So it's pretty lofty. It comes out feeling very like soft Mm -hmm. and like lofty is like kind of the best word i can use to describe it whereas the ralph lauren sweater on the right is like tightly knit which means that it's a hell of a lot heavier Mm -hmm. but it is much much more expensive as a result of being heavier um it takes longer to knit so it's the yarn itself is more expensive because you've got more of it but it's also um a lot longer of a process to knit and of course like the knitting time um can will play into like the cost of the garment because the longer it takes to knit the more expensive it is so and then to add on to that as well you how you knit that yarn will also play into the pilling Mm -hmm. of it so something like that feels really nice like you see it dare I say, hanging. We don't like sweaters hanging. Interestingly, though, we hang them constantly in the office. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you see a sweater hanging in a store and you feel it and it feels like light and lofty and you put it on and you feel like you're wearing a cloud. Well, that lightness is actually part of what's going to cause the pilling as well. Because like I said about fibers and how they rub up against each other, if they're very loose, there's lots of space to move if the tension is loose. So that can create more pilling Mm -hmm. as well. So, but all these things, like at the point in conversation that we're talking and we're finding, oh, like this sweater's gorgeous, but, um, it's really, really expensive. Oh my gosh. It's like this, this many kilos of yarn per dozen. Like, how do we make it weigh less? Oh, well we can loosen the Mm -hmm. tension. So, you know, you're loosening the tension, which, you know, can be for cost. It can also be for hand feel. Um, but that's one of the things you can do. Absolutely. And you
0: can change up the yarn. So like, we're not sitting in the meeting Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, can you add 5% more nylon to it or something to bring down the price? But certainly the production people are going back to the factory and saying like, hey, can we lighten this up? Right. And so probably, you know, they're going to add more nylon. And, uh, you know, I, I always say that like, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with in fashion are the production people the production Mm -hmm. managers coordinators etc because they are like they're the ones who really are like pulling out all kinds of charts and figuring it out and saying like okay well if we reduce the the cotton content in this and replace it with nylon or poly the price the yarn will change to this but then the duty will go up to this and they're like exploring all the other options and so it's like not unusual to have as a buyer the production person come by your desk with like a piece of paper with all these different yarns taped on them and be like, which one do you like the best? And then you pick one and you hope it's the right one. And they're like, okay, good. That one's the <laughs> cheapest. It has the lowest duties, the lowest cost, what, what have you. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're yeah. like, you know, they're making, they're taking all this data and working with the factory to like figure out where they can hit but that is like number one and in any other garment that's not a sweater it always starts with like we're going to change up the fabric right like we got to figure it out and then if you're still not there which in a lot of cases when you like you're going into a meeting and literally every sample in the wall is a bought item that is way more expensive than your price point is You're not going to solve it all just by swapping out the yarn or the tension, right? So then it's like, let's crop it. Let's take off the sleeves. Let's take off the details. Let's do this. Let's do that.
1: Yes. When we were talking before, I hadn't even thought about it um, until this point, but you were talking about cropping sweaters and I was like, wait a second, is that why sweater vests are in style right now? I mean, I wouldn't be
0: surprised.
1: Seriously like did somebody go like oh if we cut off the sleeves we can hit the margins mm-hmm. we need and like th- like talk about like trend episode like that's it that's where your trend started like i wouldn't be surprised if that's why like it started that way oh, for you know sure. i was
0: saying to you that like i m- all these years of swimming in this stew of, of, of pricing and data and all that,
1: I often yeah. wonder,
0: like, do the trends start with the people or do they start in the buying offices with what yeah. we can afford, right? Because I have seen us play into that. Like, I was telling you, like, at Nasty Gal, we were like, sheer dressing is sort of a thing. The Kardashians are doing it. Let's just make everything sheer. Yeah. And then we can afford to do anything else we want because we're not putting a lining in. Like it cuts so much cost, right? And I've seen right. that with crop tops, I've seen that with sleeveless things, mini dresses. Uh all, I mean there are so many trends that are so cheap to make um but have like a high perceived value to the customer. Like I was telling you early in my career when I was managing scarves and hats, chunky Mm -hmm. Chunky knits became a thing, like lofty, huge yarn, huge stitches, right? Very lightweight, despite these huge stitches. And that was because it was the loftiest yarn. It was practically a cloud. And I would develop a scarf that was seriously like 20 feet long and two feet wide of this extra chunky, lofty yarn. And the pricing would come in at like $3.00. But it looked expensive. There's that term, and yeah. I could sell it for fifty bucks. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that. So that I I talked about this with you earlier. That's what's really interesting. Is like. A lot of that is to do with, like, the knitting Mm -hmm. speed as well because, like, okay, here's an example. Say you have a very fine-gauge sweater, so it's, like, really, like, you look at the stitches and they're really, really tiny, right? Okay, so that's a fine-gauge sweater. And then you look at, like, a chunky sweater, like a a cable-knit sweater or something, like a an Irish sweater, which traditionally are hand-knit, so not exactly the same, but imagine that those were both knit on a machine. You knit one row of stitching on the chunky and you have like three quarters of an inch, right? Of fabric. You've created three quarters of an inch of fabric. You knit one row of stitching on the 12 gauge machine and you have an eighth of an inch, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to knit many more back and forth courses to get the same amount of fabric as you did with the chunky. So the knitting speed even though the yarn is like finer and you're, you know, it it utilizes less fiber per like inch of yarn, whatever, your knitting speed is so much slower on the 12 gauge versus the chunky. Obviously there's so many other factors within that. What makes it slower fast? Um, but that kind of summarizes why for that scarf it was so cheap because they probably, like, busted those out so fast and they were using, like, a cheap acrylic roving yarn or something. Um, so, yeah, it's, that's another reason why you can't really, like, it's so hard to discern quality. And it, it's. Cha- I, I understand why people are challenged oh, by yeah. it because it's like, think about how many years you and I have been working in this field and we're continuing to gain knowledge.
0: Absolutely. I a couple of years ago, I saw all these blankets at Target. They were like massive and they were huge stitches with very lofty yarn. Like, let's say the whole width of the blanket was like 40 stitches, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah. all I could see when I was looking at them, I mean, like they were marked at a pretty high price that no way it cost, there was no, I mean, this must've been like a 95% markup or something crazy. Yeah. And all I could think about is like that blanket in a couple weeks is either, it's probably not going to get pilly. What's going to happen is it's start, going to start compressing itself and feel plasticky, which is what it is. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. The, it sort of loses its loft.
1: Or also snagging yeah. too. Like when things are loosely knit, when there's like large spaces between the stitches, like it can catch on something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And create holes or poles, you know, and so that those are other reasons why those, those sweaters are quote garbage.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so disheartening to think about all those meetings I've been in, in my career where we have started with something that seemed like a really great idea. And by the time it hits the stores, it's completely different, you know, yeah. and it happens in all categories. Like, We might be like, oh, we love this jumpsuit, but we can't afford the make. It's too much sewing to make it as a jumpsuit, so let's turn it into a dress, you Mm -hmm. know? Or in sweaters, it would be like, okay, we cannot get this. Am I thinking of the right term here? It would be like fully fashioned or something Mm -hmm. when it's it's fully knit by the machine, right? Fully fashioned. Yeah, and
1: well, like I was saying earlier, like it's knit into the shape of the pattern pieces versus just being knit into like, fabric yardage. Right. So we
0: would say we cannot afford this as a fully fashioned knit. Let's move mm-hmm. it into cut and sew, which is like a fabric that is like yeah. a sw- sweat, sweater knit. Um I always yeah. love that word sweat. Um we would often <laughs> move like stuff into sweat which is substantially cheaper. Um, and it is yeah. literally this like knit fabric that is cut and sewn together. But that stuff is even lower quality in my experience. Oh, yeah. Like snagaroo, right? Yeah, snaggerific yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just like fully polyester at that point, Yeah. Um, but yeah. much less expensive. And as a customer, you would have no idea that, that's, yeah. that, that it wasn't knit in the same way, right? Right, yeah. So... Yeah, I have seen so much product hit the stores that was so far abstracted from what we wanted, where we started. And here's the thing. If that style sells really well this year, then next year, I, the buyer, am going to be the meeting. And I'm going to say, Danny, we need to bring this back or update it, Um, but we also need it to be a dollar cheaper this year. You know, mm-hmm. and so then here we go again. We're going to water down it, the idea, you know.
1: Yeah. And we have to make it look different enough that the same customer wants to buy it again, but not be so different that it's like a different item. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, what a good time. It just brings me yeah. back because, you, you know, you'd be sitting in a meeting and you'd be like, OK, well, this is like a basic button up cardigan. It's nice. Uh, like, how do we make that? Different,
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's got like an armhole, and it has no buttons. It's so basic. uh Do we change it to a raglan? Yeah, exactly. But the doesn't really know the difference between a set and sleeve and a raglan. They're not. They're not going to see that difference. No. Okay. uh Do we add buttons? Oof, no, because buttons is going to cost. It's going to cost more. more. Okay. We got to bring down. We got to. Do we make it shorter? No? no, no,
0: no, no. That's a different sweater. Let's make it a henley. <laughs> Yeah, we did so many Henleys for a while because it's like, oh, it's like cheaper than a cardigan because there's less buttons, (laughs) but it has that like detail that makes it
1: look expensive. So many
0: Henleys.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So this is just like what happens, and you do this for five years, ten years, twenty years, and suddenly the sweaters that you get to buy are extra crappy because they are like a dilution of a dilution of a dilution dilution of like just for years right yeah they're so far from where they began and that's where we are right now but here's the thing that wouldn't continue if people weren't buying them and i think like that's the thing is like we don't know what we don't know as consumers when we're out there looking for a sweater and i hope that this is starting to like open some eyes us talking about this (laughs) If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles by embodying the love, craft, and energy Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Even's is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Even's is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at Wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear underscore S-T dot evens. That's Wearsaintevens. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia, by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicwear, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicwear in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicwear recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnic wear offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at cute little ruin. Is there a little bit of Italy in your soul? Are you an enthusiast of pre-loved decor and accessories? Bring vintage Italian style and history into your space with the Pewter Thimble. We source useful and beautiful things and mend them where needed. We also find gorgeous illustrations and make them print worthy. Tarot cards, tea towels, and handpicked treasures available to you from the comfort of your own home. Responsibly sourced from across Rome, lovingly renewed by fairly paid artists and artisans, with something for every budget. Discover more at the Pewter com deco denim is a startup based out of san francisco and it sells clothing and accessories that are sustainable gender fluid size inclusive and high quality made to last for years to come deco denim is trying to change the way you think about buying clothes founder sarah mattis wants to empower people to ask important questions like where was this made was this garment made ethically Is this fabric made of plastic? Can this garment be upcycled? And if not, can it be recycled? Sign up at decodenim.com to receive $20 off your first purchase. They promise not to spam you and send out no more than three emails a month, with two of them surrounding education or a personal note from the founder. Again, that's decodenim.com. So I thought, Danny, like, we could talk about how
1: we could not buy crappy sweaters. Like, what should we look Mm -hmm. out for? I think that where this starts, like anything, is education. Mm -hmm. So obviously, like, what we've just talked about is hopefully helping you, like, helping demystify things a little bit. But I also think that there's, like, something to just, like, just looking at garments mm-hmm. and and turning things inside out and questioning things yourself. And, and like, I always say this when, when you have something in your closet that's been there for years and years and years, and you continue to wear it and it, you continue to love it. Like question why, what is it about mm-hmm. it? Is it the aesthetic? Is it like, you know, has it like held up really well? Turn it inside out. Look at the seams. How is it made? Like, you don't have to be a fashion designer to be interested in how things Like garments are made and I think that that's kind of one thing over time like some of my most like memorable moments like at FIT for example was when we got to go to the FIT museum and they showed us garments like beautifully made garments and just like seeing how things were made and like what makes a well-made garment well-made is something that you can just learn on your own um by like going to vintage stores thrift stores go to an expensive store and you might see things in there and you're like holy crap like the video you were referring to earlier like they pulled out a ramey Brook dress uh, or whatever yeah. and we're looking at it in detail and they're like how is this any different than something at zara And mm-hmm. yet it's four hundred dollars yeah. you know like those are things that like, you should just always be questioning and looking at, um, you know, it's hard because even in a thrift store, there's so much to see. So we're all just like flipping through so fast, but if something catches your eye and you stop on it and maybe it's not something you want to wear, it's not your size, but you're like, why am I responding to this? Why Mm -hmm. is this so beautiful? Like, think about it. Like how were the seams made? Like, how is it finished inside? Like, what are the things that, to you, make it feel good quality, like break it down yourself. You can do it. I believe in you. So that's my number one thing is like, because like, you know, I think you mentioned this before, like price Mm -mm. is not a deciding factor on whether something's good quality or not. Yeah.
0: I mean, I actually have some examples that I found on the internet for us because I do think, and I get it, I hear I see this being repeated all the time online and I know that like we've had it kind of drilled into us from a young age. The idea out there the thinking is that if it's a higher price it must be better. It must be better quality. Mm-hmm. And sure, I think that there were times where that was true. That is definitely not the case in this century. No. And like you know like we see $5000 uh, designer dresses from luxury brands that are 100% polyester. Like it's just a different time, right? And yeah. so we kind of have to be detectives when we buy something. So yeah, I pulled a couple examples from the internet. Um, I was like, I'm going to go out for, and look for sweaters that are over $100 and kind of see see what I'm getting, like what's, what's out there mm-hmm. for us. And the theme was the same over and over again. So the first sweater we have here is from Free People. It's called the Fireside Tunic. It is $168. And I can tell you, it's a really cute sweater with like an intarsia pattern. It is. It's like long. The silhouette's really cute. Yeah, it's really cute, right? And I bet that yarn is so yummy. Oh my God.
1: It is so yummy. I can tell looking at it. I can tell too. It.
0: Yeah. And you look at this and you're like, oh, this is obviously a really nice high quality sweater. It's $168. Yeah. It's super cute, looks yums, whatever. Here's the here's the thing. On this, on the Free People website and on most websites, but not all, you can see the fiber content. Now Mm-hmm. IRL, if you were shopping in the store, I would urge you to look inside the garment. It might be by the lower hem, but it is required by law here in the United States that any clothing that is imported into this country for sale, which at Free People or just about any other retailer right now, the vast majority, if not all of the clothing, uh-huh. is imported into the United States, right? It's made overseas. It is required by law that the tag inside the garment must show where it was made and uh-huh. what kind of fibers are used. If you're shopping and you don't see that, obviously, thrifting is different. I cut a lot of tags out. I have sensitive skin, Okay. But, like, if you are in a store buying something brand new and that tag is not there, this, that brand is up to some next level of <laughs> fucking around. No I don't good. even know what to say, yeah. right? Next <laughs> level of shenanigans. Like, they're up to something. Yeah. Because um, that's illegal. So, IRL, you always want to be looking for that tag. And I sometimes look for it before I even start like feeling around because I don't want to get caught up in the emotion of it. But if you're shopping online, which a lot of us do, you should be able to go into like product details, product description, and figure out what the fiber is if it's not there then you need to email them but i will tell you if they're not
1: telling you it's definitely not a good story i also found from looking doing the same sort of research myself sometimes it's really hard to find like it and is- that's purposeful they make it such that it's hard to find the information about a garment like they want you to just buy it based on the pictures oh, and the totally parts.
0: and most people do right
1: <laughs> so yeah yeah read yeah. that
0: stuff it's there for a reason like I said, not all retailers are doing that the way they should be, but it's there. The other thing that you called out, which I think is really important too, Danny, is uh, what people, what brands are saying in terms of country of origin. What did you find mm-hmm. quite often?
1: Yeah. So I was finding specifically on the Free People website, I and I can't remember where else, but it was basically just saying imported. It, yeah. it wasn't clarifying where it was imported from, which is like... It's really pretty shady, to be honest, because, like, if you think about it, like, it's just messed up because, like, the word imported sounds fancy. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. It sounds fancy. Oh, this is imported. But if it said made in China or made in Bangladesh,
0: would it sound as fancy to you? Right. Right. And my guess is this particular sweater that we're looking at right now is probably made in China based on the fabric con- composition, the pricing, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is the wheelhouse of China. So for sure, the fiber content here on this $168 sweater, you look at it, you're like, oh, it's cozy. It's soft. It's cute. It's probably like wool, cashmere, that kind of thing. You're like, it's got to be a natural fiber because it's so yummy, right? (laughs) 19% polyamide, which is like a plastic fiber, 9% polyester, another plastic fiber, 1% elastane, that's for a little bit of stretch, also a plastic fiber, 45% cotton. Okay, there's our natural fiber, 26% acrylic. So it is mostly plastic, right? And Mm -hmm. probably it is 45% cotton solely to game the duty, is my guess. Yeah, I was just gonna say that.
1: I can't remember if it was like, it has to be over 50% or whatever, but sometimes like the cheapness of the yarn overrides those high synthetic duties anyways Mm -hmm. so if the yarn is like so so cheap on its own then they can afford the duties because it still makes it cheaper than if they use like a chief cotton yarn or something like that. totally
0: totally so the next one this is something that really grinds my gears um and i see it all the time this is from uh and other stories which i think people consider to be like a more high-end brand as well like free people um it's actually owned by h&m and all their stuff is made in the same factories as h&m stuff it's like the same supply chain this sweater Mm -hmm. says knitted sweater responsible alpaca responsible wool it's got like sort of three-dimensional dots all over it. Um, It is $129. And oh, I'm like, oh, wow, it's responsible alpaca and wool. Okay, this is great. Tell me more. Maybe I finally have found my sweater that is fully natural fibers. (laughs) Uh, Composition, polyamide, 33%. Wool, 32%. Alpaca, 32%. Spandex, 3%. So it is, once again, the most synthetic fibers Are taking up a big part of this fiber content Mm -hmm. but it's not told it's sold to you as an alpaca and wool sweater but also like what the fuck
1: does responsible mean uh such greenwashing right like tell me what responsible means because like i'm responsible for doing the dishes in my house like that doesn't make me like good at doing dishes or something or like do them properly or like doesn't mean that i actually do them every day like i should like Responsible like means nothing. Okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Actually, the way the choices
0: of words in greenwashing and like ethical washing campaigns really flip a little switch have in evolved. our brain. They have evolved. Yeah, but
1: they've they've evolved so much. They have,
0: they have. They can't say sustainable because people are being like, ah, I don't know, sounds boring. Yeah. But if you say something like responsible or conscious or ethical yeah. or anything like that, it gives the customer it like sort of unlocks this little part of their imagination that says that if I buy this, I am a responsible person. There's something about human nature where we kind of like, one, We want to feel superior, okay? Um, And, you know, we actually have to do a lot of work to, like, undo that, right, in our day-to-day lives. But we want to say, oh, I'm not like all those other irresponsible people out there. I bought this responsible sweater because I care, Uh right? Same thing, like I'm more conscious. Like, that kind of stuff. I really feel there is so much, like... I don't know, superiority that can be a part of the sustainable and slow fashion community that I work very hard to dismantle. I don't like it, Uh -uh. but these brands play into that because they know human nature.
1: Yeah, they're taking advantage of you. Yeah, they
0: are, they're manipulating you. Yes. Okay, so the next sweater, this one's from Madewell. And it kind of reminded me of the Billy Crystal sweater. So I was like, okay, let's yeah. take a look here. That's so true. Okay, so this one is actually, I think, no, the Free People one was our most expensive one so far. This is our second most. It's $148 cable knit oversized sweater. Now, first, I'm going to read the copy and that came with it. There was a lot more copy, right? I'm just going to read you one sentence from it. But then oh I'll tell God, you the I content. Oh, okay. I already.
1: I can see it. <laughs>
0: um, made of textural slub yarn. First off, what customer even knows what that means? That's some flim flammery. You and I know what that yeah. means, but a customer's yeah. like, I don't know, it sounds fancy. Made yeah. of textural slub yarn blended with responsible wool fibers. Okay,
1: hold on. We need to clarify. It doesn't just say responsible. You're right. It's in
0: imp- Re is in uh
1: Parenthesis. Thank you. I was like,
0: what are those things called? So it's <laughs> responsible wool fibers. Ostensibly, I think, I don't know. I was looking at their site and sometimes that can mean it's a recycled fiber, but sometimes it can mean that is like more like ethically sourced or something. It's interesting okay. that Madewell and, and other stories are basically using the same word. Uh Right. So responsible trending, everyone. Okay. Yes. Okay. Responsible full fibers. It has a crew neck, an oversized fit, and drop shoulders. First of all, I don't even think the average customer knows what a drop shoulder is either. Anyway. So you're like, hear this, and you're like, oh, so this is like a sustainable, ethical sweater. It's responsible. And it's wool. (laughs) It's 75% polyacrylic, 25% wool. It's not a wool sweater. You know, so I was telling you when you you and I were prepping for this, like on food labeling, uh, Mm -hmm. it is the law that the first ingredient is what there's the most of in that food. And the last Mm -hmm. one is what there's the least amount. And in some of these, I have seen companies leading with the fancy fiber.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. And yeah it, I, I thought that was illegal. I
0: know. It's it's just so, I don't people, there's sketchiness going on across the internet. Yeah. So the last one I called out uh, is this brand Cezanne, which has been coming up a lot in conversations about, like, sustainable, ethical brands. It's sort of like, it sort of positions itself as, like, sustainable luxury, um, and it's French. Mm-hmm. Um And I found a cardigan on their site. Now, I will tell you, they did have some stuff on their site that was fully natural fibers, right? Mm -hmm. It was a pretty good mix. So this could be an option for you. uh, If you're looking for natural fibers, just read the content. Because this sweater didn't look any different than the other sweater that was next to it. And that sweater was 100% cashmere. This one, the Anjali cardigan, is $150. And, oh my gosh, I made this way too small. I have to zoom in so I can (laughs) read this. It is... 33% 33% mohair, 33% wool, then something percent polyamide, and then um, that elastane. It's like in all the sweaters now. Yeah, I can explain okay. that. That's
1: typically in the cuffs. Ah, okay. So in the first few courses of the cuffs and maybe the ribs of the hem too, mm-hmm. so that it it stays cinched together and like it prevents it from over time stretching out.
0: Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's like a pretty good mix of synthetic and natural fibers, but I mean, it's got a lot of polyamide in it. Like it's yeah. it's it's not going to decompose is what I'm saying. And the other thing that's right. important to call out is I'm sure you noticed I'm throwing around all kinds of percentages in all these blends, even though a lot of them have the same assortment of fibers in them. And that renders them basically unrecyclable because there's like, I was just going to say there's like too many blends and I don't know how you separate them anyway.
1: It's funny you say that because yeah, I've been um, doing like a workshop on circularity. If you're interested in having me speak, contact me. (laughs) But yeah, so that is a big thing that's being like, talked about within circularity is mono materials versus multi materials. And so, yeah, all the sweaters you listed are multi materials. So, like, end of life cycle for these is basically the garbage because mm-hmm. you, it's very, very difficult to recycle a blended material, but I actually met someone here in Danville, Virginia, who has a company called Cirque. And there's a few companies who are emerging, who are actually like pioneering technology where they can separate the fibers, which is pretty freaking cool. Um, but that's a whole other thing. But right now, like that, that for the most part, most of these things are just like, there's just no way to, to properly recycle them. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it it's it's just like a dead end basically, you know. Yeah. I guess my question for you, Danny, is like mm-hmm. we know how this industry could be better, right? But like how for customers like if you come up on this and you've read all these content things like we just did. What do you do?
1: Like what do you do next? <sighs> Well, I mean, it depends. Are you, like, do you need to buy a sweater? I mean, that's the number one
0: question, because I kind of yeah. wonder, right? <laughs> do you, like, there were times when I would be managing sweaters at at work, and I would be like, why do we keep selling so many sweaters every
1: year? How many sweaters do these people have? Yeah, you know? I mean, like, I think I said this in, like, our first recording together, but, like, one of the, like moments in my career where I was like, wow, I don't know if I want to do this anymore to be a part of this was like when I had a very quote unquote successful moment in my career and I got a huge order placed against a style that I designed. Um, and we're talking like, I mean, this was actually my, our units were s- smaller when I was at, urban than they were later at express but it was like 40,000 units or something it was like the my biggest order at that point and I was like 40,000 units <laughs> like 40, that 000? is like makes me squeeze
0: my knees together in horror you know
1: like 40,000 people <sighs> yeah. were what were wa- I mean obviously a caveat to that is that like were we expecting to actually sell 40,000 units or were we buying 40,000 because it gave us a reduced price? Like there's so many, um, layers to that, but still 40,000 were being produced. We're hoping that 40,000 people buy them. And that's one single sweater out of our entire assortment. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you need so many gosh darn sweaters? Like, I like buy one sweater every couple of years, maybe more if I'm like buying it at a vintage or something like that. But like, I am a sweater designer (laughs) and I am so passionate about knitwear. And I, you know, I, I, a good example is like when I moved to New York and I like, you know, my my salary got vastly increased and I was like, I've never felt like I had the opportunity to like um, to buy a nice piece of clothing for myself when in reality I always actually do like did have the money I was just like squandering it by buying things 40% Um, off at Urban Outfitters whenever we got seriously the the discount like for real like even though like I didn't have a high salary I could have just bought like 90% less than I already was and got like some really nice quality garments
0: money we would I would spend during employee appreciation which is when we got 40% off of everything including sale yeah shameful yeah (laughs)
1: I know. And so when I moved back to New York, I was like, I, they gave me a sign on bonus. And I was like, I'm going to buy myself a really nice sweater that I'm going to like wear for years to come. And guess what? That was 2015. It's 2023. And I wore that sweater yesterday because it's one of my favorite sweaters. And it's you know one of the buttons fell off and I have to find a new button to replace it with and it's a little bit pilly but like it's still delicious and I love it and that was like a big learning experience for me and how I shopped because I had that for years and I still love it yeah
0: I mean I think that is that's a Great question to ask yourself. Do I really need a sweater? And how many sweaters do I need? And really consolidating that spending mm-hmm. into a couple really key pieces. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, like, and always asking the question to yourself that I am constantly saying, like, is this future vintage or future garbage? And mm-hmm. somebody asked me in an interview recently, like, how do you decipher the difference between, like, an item that's trendy or an item that's just, um, like, I can't remember how they put it, just, like, really special and, like, um, exciting. And, like, only you can decide that. That is right. only... For you to decide, because if something is trendy now, but you freaking love it and you're gonna wear it five years from now, then it's not, then you're not like subscribing to the trend. You're, you saw something that you liked and you bought it, you know? But if you're gonna only like it for a season and next year you're not gonna wear it again, then yeah, it's probably a trend that you should dismiss. But like, some of my favorite items in my closet I've had for decades and I still look at them and I get excited and I get butterflies. So I think like personal style and knowing what really excites you and looking at your closet and thinking like, what are things that have been in here for a while and why is like the best way that you can approach shopping. And if somebody like shares something, a small business or something, and you like, Freaking love it, and, like, a week later, you still love it, and, like, months later, you still love it. Like, that's probably a good sign that it's something that, like, you'll love for many years and will end up being, like, future vintage hanging in your closet or folded in your closet, sorry. Don't hang it.
0: <laughs> we don't like that. Uh, it gives you your own weird yeah. drop shoulder, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I think that's really great advice, and I think it's also a good transition into talking about your sweater collection, Danny. because we've talked for like two hours now about why and how sweaters have been sort of – this is a term people use to describe apps, and I really like it, how they've been in-shittified, you know? Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like the in of Instagram, et cetera. Um, And like, nowhere has this phenomenon been more obvious in the world of clothing. And so, you know, you have like had to make these difficult decisions over the years that basically just diluted your vision, Mm -hmm. right? And probably like, I mean, they they suppress your creativity, Yeah, you know? Yes. And they're depressing. Yeah. You get depressed. I think, I mean, there are many reasons why working in fashion is really, really hard. Um, mentally, specifically, like on your how detrimental it is for your mental health. But one of those things is you go in with this creative vision and you never actually get to execute yeah. it, right? Yeah. Because of all the things we talked about. So now you have your own brand yeah. and this year you made
1: sweaters. Yeah. So
0: why don't you tell me like about why they are different and you know why you made the decisions that you made?
1: Yeah, thank you. I'd love to talk about them. Um, I actually, when I like decided on the name Picnic Wear for my brand, it was uh, like my desire for it was for it to be a sweater brand. But when I looked in, like I did some like domestic factory like tours and stuff, and I realized like financially – I would not be able to do it, um, but it was always a dream of mine to be actually able to design a s- super tight collection of sweaters that were um, without the restraints of what the industry, like my jobs, had been pushing on me and, and mm-hmm. all that dumbing down that you speak of. So, and through talking to people, like I felt like so many people were like, why can't I find a cotton sweater anymore? Which tell me I'm wrong from our research. Like it is very hard to find a cotton sweater. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, I
0: didn't find one at no, all, by the way. Neither, I'm honest. not one. Yeah. yeah. Like I went through so many sites, um, and I didn't see a
1: single one yeah, and, anywhere.
0: And I, you know what I'm going to tell you, like early in my career, we still had cotton sweaters, even at urban yeah, outfitters.
1: Totally. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And But I think, like, back to the, like, weight conversation there, I think that that's a big part of it. Like, you know, synthetic fibers can be, like we said, really lofty and light and therefore cheap, whereas, like, Mm -hmm. cotton is pretty naturally heavy. Like, there's so many different things you can do with a fiber, so, like, it doesn't have to be. But generally speaking, it gets quite a bit heavier than a synthetic yarn does, so it just ends up being more expensive. So, like, a lot of people think of cotton, like, oh, a cotton sweater should be cheap because it's cotton, which is Mm -hmm. a little twisted. Um, (laughs) But in reality, it's like, it's, that's not the case at all. Um, But yeah, I felt like it it was true. There aren't a lot of cotton sweaters out there. And I totally respect that some people don't like wool as much as I do. And as much as I, you know, I designed this um, collection and it's, was produced in Peru. And as much as I wanted to use like alpaca, I was like, Oh gosh, like I know that so many people have issues with wool. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, cotton is just lovely and feels amazing. Um, but of course true to, the ethos of my brand i only use materials or vastly only use materials that are existing and so i teamed up with the Endery who um sources dead stock yarn that's otherwise destined for the landfill and they rescue it and they and they're already died because it's literally left over from a doll factory that's
0: incredible yeah. also just like who doesn't love a nice doll factory leftover?
1: <laughs> I I love, I love it. Exactly. Um, I'm imagining that these I haven't actually seen the dolls, but I'm imagining like they're like a, a knitted Peruvian doll type thing, not mm-hmm. like a plastic doll or something, obviously, because it's cotton. Um but like the what was great about that is that like because they're dolls, they're all these amazing colors. Mm-hmm. And of course I gravitate towards colors and I feel like when you look at the landscape of sweaters out there, it's it's actually very hard to find, like, a beautiful, brightly knit, like, statement sweater. So, um, and I also like I was really inspired by the towels that I've collected over the years so each sweater is inspired by a different um towel that I love the graphic of and it the process was just really cool and fun because well first of all it took a year and a half (laughs) um which is like very slow but like you know it was very thoughtful and um but yeah, so when the time came that I had to color the sweaters, they told me which, which colors were available, and I had to work with what was available. So I am so psyched on the color combos that I came up with but it's even cooler to think that like I was making them out of just like what was I didn't have like a paint box of colors where I could mix and match or whatever it was like I was restricted to a certain color palette um, which was just like probably one of my favorite things about being an upcycled designer or is is that creativity that it pushes you to have to like Push your boundaries and think outside of the box. It's not like, oh, I'm sitting at my desk and dreaming up this thing and it's going to have a huge ruffle. It's like, what can I do Mm -hmm. with the materials that are in front of me? And that's so much more fun it
0: really is I feel like it like helps you it makes you more innovative but I think it also helps to like have yourself sort of hemmed in and Mm -hmm. it
1: it, like makes you able to be more creative you know yeah and it's like weirdly having those parameters like those boundaries are kind of like put you in this like safe cozy space where you like know like what you're working with and it's like, cause sometimes having like the sky's the limit is like impossible to like, to like put yourself in that position where like you could literally do anything. Um, so having those restrictions are like, are very inspiring to me.
0: Yeah, it really is. It really is. These sweaters are on your site right now for purchase And they're all 100% cotton. Um, Mm -hmm. If someone is inspired by our conversation to go buy one of these sweaters from you, how can they best take care of it to extend its life?
1: I mean, to be honest, I don't really wash my sweaters much. Um, (laughs) I, like, pretty rarely do. But I've also had, like moth situation so maybe i'm not the best person to ask for with that but um basically hand or machine wash cold and what you should be doing with all your sweaters is not putting them in the dryer and not hanging them to dry what you need to do is is lay them flat um so oftentimes i'll like lay out a towel on the ground or something or like i personally i bought these um this like hanging mechanism thing that's like these mesh layers of mesh. So when I'm washing sweaters, cause I often like will purchase and wash like vintage sweaters, I will lay them on that. Mm-hmm. So it's laying flat, but it has like the um a place for the air to like circulate and let the um moisture drip out. So yeah, I mean that's not hard. No. Like like laying something on a towel. Is certainly not hard, but I would also say, like, just don't wash them that much. Like, they're not going to stink the way a synthetic sweater does. It's true.
0: It's true. I mean, honestly, like, it's interesting. The irony is never lost on me that we have so much synthetic clothing now, right, that makes you stinky, that you have to wash more often, that also doesn't hold up to washing. It's like a cycle, yes. right? I mean, it's like there's, yes, so true. there's all this like planned obsolescence in clothing that's kind of like accidental planned obsolescence. Like we've never, I've never sat in a meeting and said, the great news is that this is going to be such low quality that they'll have to buy another one, right? But it just is. That's a
1: really good point. Yeah. What's interesting is actually like we, like at Express, we did like wear testing to make sure the stuff would withstand like friction and wear, et cetera. And I was just like, this is really twisted what we're doing. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't know what kind of brand we want to be because like we're like not sourcing fibers that will last a long time. We're wanting our customers to purchase Over and over again, but we want to make sure that they last, too. Like, do these people just have never-ending closets to contain all their clothes?
0: I mean, I think that's part of it, right? It's like, this is also the era of, like, plenty of stores who have opened, like, the container store to help you organize all the stuff you overbought, right? But it is interesting because I've worked a lot of places that did wear testing. And it was Mm -hmm. almost like, we want people to just be able to wear it long enough that they won't be mad when it stops being nice anymore. That's
1: that's a really good point. And yeah. it's about yeah, that fine That probably fine line. sums it up. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so it's true. Like, we we never sat around and we're like, I think, like, honestly, as, you know, when I would be working on wear test stuff uh, as a buyer, I wasn't, like, thinking, like, oh, we just want this to hang on long enough. But I actually was like, I'm doing the best job I can to put the best stuff out there for our customer. Like, I really yeah. felt that way. It's just... That's
1: not how it ends up working out, right? And the big difference between, like, planned obsolescence in, like, the technology world or whatever and in the fashion world, it's more perceived obsolescence. So we're relying on the perceived obsolescence, like, on paper, not necessarily, like, it being uncool now versus it, like... Being broken is what's being like, yeah. Really, that's what it is. A bit more thoughtfully. Not that that's really like considered so much, but like by this endless cycle of trends, that is what we're doing. So it is, it is. It's so weird to think about. Like, I think that's the the
0: thing. Like when I talk about all of the stuff and the evils of fast fashion, it's like I always want to call out that the mass vast majority of people working in this industry are people like me and you who we have the best intentions and we want to do the best things. And we are also trying to survive as well because you know what, we're not paid well, we're overworked. Um, As my career progressed, it was like I was doing the jobs of three or four or five people, you know, because the company didn't want to spend the money and our benefits were bad. And yet we still were like, if we don't hit these numbers in terms of profitability and sales, We won't have a job next year. And so you're just trying to survive. And it's only like when you get to step outside of it, like you and I have had that luxury of doing, that you Mm -hmm. start to see how broken it all is. That's
1: a really, really good point. Yeah, for sure.
0: Like we weren't in there like, let's make the worst sweaters ever. No. No, (laughs) no. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Danny. This was so fun.
1: Thank you. Can I, I just want to say one more thing to your audience. Okay. Um... I don't know how to put this because I don't want to make you like uncomfortable. But, like, I just think that I want to thank you for, like opening up this community and giving people a platform to speak. And like, you do such hard I'm like, seriously gonna get emotional Amanda. You oh my God, such you're gonna hard make me work. cry <laughs> <laughs> and like, I I'll be honest, like over the like I've been a Patreon subscriber for you from the beginning. And there have been periods of time where I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally like, I can't afford this anymore. But I'm always like, no. Amanda is always doing the work. She never stops. It doesn't freaking matter. Um, and I will say I've had over the years, even though it's been years since I was on your podcast, like I've had people come to me and say like, oh, I learned about you from clothes horse. And I just like the community that you've brought together is just really wonderful. And so like, even though I've had those moments where I'm like, like, oh, can I afford this anymore? I'm like, no, it is so important to me that Amanda is doing this work. And like, I just, I just, everyone, like, if you can like, support amanda on if you like listen to this podcast a lot like i'm like seriously about to cry like you really <laughs> like please support her patreon
0: thank you thank you that means a lot to me danny i know i mean i'm so grateful for all of you small businesses who support me and honestly at this point like that is what is what has kept Close worse going because mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's expensive yeah, to do this it's not just like I talk in a microphone and I don't get paid for this label
1: regardless of like the money you put in it like you're you put so much time and energy and expertise yeah. and like heart like you put so much freaking heart yeah. into
0: this. I do I do I'm gl- I, you know what Danny, I'm like so grateful that you said that even though I feel like really embarrassed right now. Um, but but it is true and Bye. I it feels really important to me to have your support and have you recognize that and you know, there are so many people you included who have become my friends thanks to Close Horse, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me it's been this am- yeah. amazing phenomenon that was born out of I wouldn't say it was one of the darkest times of my life. The darkest time of my life was the, like, you know, few months after my partner died and before Dylan was born. That was, like, Mm -hmm. a time I'm not excited to ever repeat. But the months surrounding when I started Close Horse were hard. I mean, for, like, for so many of us, you know, it was 2020. I'd lost my job. I we had to move out of the city because we couldn't afford to live there anymore. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I was so afraid of getting sick and dying, you know, like so fearful all the time and all the stuff was going on with the election. It was just like a really intense time. Yeah. Oh, so- such a horrible time. And back then, I would make two episodes a week because I was like we all need each other right now, but I also need to do this. Yeah, it was like it
1: was your survival mode. It was my survival like, mode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it has changed over the years, right? Like I, I like I am close horse, right? And making doing this work is really important to my happiness and my mm. faith and optimism in the world, but it is also like work. You know, when yeah. I started this, I didn't have a job. Yeah. Most of the time I have had a job and this has been like what I do instead of relaxing, <laughs> making friends, <laughs> stuff <like> that, <laughs> um, but it's important to me. And I think, you know, the same thing goes for like you and all the other small makers in our community, all of you who like, I mean, you worked so hard on these sweaters. You're all working so hard to do things right. When so many people will tell us myself included, why do you care so much? Mm -hmm. Why do you work so hard to do it right? Why do you care? Why are you even engaging with that person or sharing information with them or helping them out or whatever else it is? And it is because we all believe in the same thing.
1: Yeah. And it's because it's like, if I don't care, then who freaking will that's
0: how i feel like i said a couple months ago i was like i just don't think i can do closed source anymore like it's so exhausting what people yeah. expect from me and the microscope i'm under and just like the labor i'm doing for everybody every day yeah i uh, i was like i don't think i can do it anymore and then i was like if well, first off, Dustin was like, that's like not even an option. So you just need to stop thinking that way, which I am. I mean, how lucky am I to have a partner who feels that yeah. way? Um, But I was like, if I don't do this, who will? Yeah. You know? Exactly. So I'm going to keep doing it. But thank you. Thank you. Your kind of words really.
1: Yeah, they really mean a lot to me. I'm trying not to get all like choked up, but thank oh, you. <laughs> I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And I know so many other listeners feel yeah. that way.
0: It's so. really nice to hear it. You know how it is. You get yeah. one trolley message oh, yes. and that eclipses the like 100 kind messages you have received Absolutely. in the last year. Man,
1: I hate that. That's why I started like screenshotting the positive messages and I have like a folder on in my photos on my phone so like when i get one of those trolls i like look through there and i'm like okay
0: same i have a folder for nice emails that i get from people at Aww. the Close Horse account and i like i always tell people like thank you for this i'm gonna put this in my folder yeah um, because <laughs> like sometimes i need that it is a weird world that when people will come and fight with you about like fast fashion <laughs> yes for sure <laughs> Thank you so much to Danny for taking all of that time to share her expertise and everything else with us. Right now, Danny is in the process of finalizing her first ever sewing pattern called the Deja Vu dress. I am really excited for this to go on sale because it's a really cool baby doll dress, very versatile. It's the best silhouette in my opinion. And the pattern is actually being designed with upcycled textiles in mind. I'm definitely buying it as soon as it goes on sale because I think it'll be a good, you know, middle of winter doldrums kind of project. If you're interested in learning more about the sewing pattern, I know as I speak, I'm pretty sure the testing process has begun. Um, Or if you want to see Danny's incredible sweaters, be sure to give her a follow on Instagram. I would suspect that the vast majority of you already do that, but just in case, you'll find her as at picnic wear. You know, this is me speaking off the cuff here. I didn't write anything down for this, but it was on my mind. Uh. As I was editing, <laughs> like I'd forgotten about the last the last thing that Danny brought up about supporting Close Horse, and uh, I thought about editing it out because I was, I, you know, this is so silly. But a few years ago, someone on Reddit complained that when people called in to the hotline or sent audio essays and they mentioned how much they loved Close Horse or said co- something complimentary or nice in it, uh, that the fact that I kept that in was really annoying to them and. I was like, oh my god! Like the last thing I want to be is annoying, um, and so I started cutting that stuff out. And then one day I sort of had this reckoning of like, people say those things because they want they want people to hear them, right? And so I started putting that stuff back in. And you know what? I am grateful that Danny brought that up because I I'm not good at bringing that stuff up, and I I also sometimes feel embarrassed by how much passion and work, and thought, and time that I put into Close Horse, whether it's these episodes every week, all the content on social media, or the time I spend responding to your messages and answering your questions, you know, the time I spend thinking about, like, what's next and how I can do more for the community and to lift up slow fashion and to lift up small businesses, right? So I guess I'm glad that Danny brought it up. <laughs> you know, I've been really and I'm sure a lot of you are feeling the same way right now. I'm it's it's really hard every week to sit down and work on close horse because I think about what's going on right now in Gaza. It's one of many many horrible things happening around the world. I mean, we can't forget about what's happening in the Congo. We can't forget about what's happening in China with the Uyghur Muslims and and so many other just horrible, horrible things happening around the world. So many things that it's hard for me to see how I can help, right? And and that that's hard in itself. It's an emotionally really difficult place to be when you're like, I know this is wrong and I don't know what I personally can do to help. And the best thing we can do is, you know, continue to advocate for what is right and to reach out to our elected officials and make our voices known and to have conversations with people in real life. And when we have the money to send the money, you know, I, I I suppose really everything, all of the bad things in the world, including what we talk about with fast fashion um, and the system of exploitation that fuels that industry, that all of these things we have to We have to have that same approach, that same perspective of like, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know how I can make an impact as one person and recognize that we can, especially when we're all making that effort together at the same time. And there will be times where we feel, we feel like nothing good is coming of that work, that we feel frustrated, that we feel that the decisions are not in our hands. I know a lot of you are feeling that way right now. I certainly am about many things, honestly. And the past month or so, I've been kind of like, why am I making clothes horse when the world is falling apart, when there are so many people suffering right now, right? So many people are losing their loved ones. They're losing their lives themselves. They're experiencing trauma and starvation and pain and illness and, it gets really hard sometimes, right, to see to see why I would work on clothes horse during that time period. And then I have to remember that all of the other bad stuff in the world doesn't stop because one bad thing is happening right now, because as we've seen, over the past few years, it's just so many. So many people suffering around the world, animals suffering around the world, the planet suffering around the world as a result of so many bad things happening all the time. And I can't sit out close horse, even if it feels hard sometimes, because things don't change if we don't continue to talk about these things, right? And what's, and what's going badly in the world. And... The voice of one can motivate so many other people to do the things that I was saying, like to reach out to our elective representatives, to have difficult conversations with other people, to share information, to give the money when we can, all of these things, right? One voice leads to two voices, leads to four voices, leads to eight voices on any issue. And I can't stop talking about... The effects of fast fashion and fast everything, because one, they're not going to go away if we stop talking about them. They might even get worse. And I feel like we're in such a place right now where we're making a lot of progress, even though it feels slow. When I look back in hindsight, I see the progress, and I don't want to, I don't want us to lose that, you know. So I'm going to keep making close horse. I'm going to keep talking about these things in the midst of so many other things that keep me up at night that make me cry that make me just take those moments where i feel like i can't even breathe because the enormity of the pain the suffering of others makes it feel like i can feel it makes me feel like i feel those feelings too right i can it's visceral so yeah if you are feeling the same way where you you don't know where you fit in where you make a difference how to cope with the enormity of what's happening in Gaza or what's happening in China or what's happening anywhere else in the world right now, I want you to know that all of us feel the same way. And I will be there to support you through that. This community will be there to support me and you through all of this. And we will all, we will all see things get better, but we have to stick it out. And giving up, staying quiet, stepping away, it isn't going to change that. So yeah, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a rating, maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, you can tell your friends. Uh, that's, that's, how it all, that's how change happens, right? We need a lot of people. And we start with the people around us. I like to think of us all as these little tiny circles surrounded by other circles. And when they join our circle, it's a bigger circle. And soon all these big circles start overlapping. And then it's one big circle. That's what I picture when I close my eyes and I think about the power of community and, and care and support, uh, so, yeah, tell your friends to listen to Clothes Horse. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really convoluted way around that. Um, if you would like to support my work financially, which I would so – you have no idea how much I would appreciate that. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash Podcast. You can also uh, take advantage of the Apple Premium subscription where you get access to – the complete archives of close horse. Um, but most importantly, even if you've heard all those episodes a hundred times, it's a really easy way to support my work here. Um, and there are other ways you can support me. You can find all that on Instagram in my bio there last, but not least, of course, thank you as always to Justin Travis white for our music and audio support and see you all next week.